And we're live. What's up, Katie? How's it going? So I'm here with Katie Rudder, who's uh, one of our expert coaches. But she wasn't always a coach, was she? <laughs> um, when did you get started with us at Old City? I vaguely remember the early days with you, but uh, I don't remember the specifics. Well, I uh, joined the gym as a member in, I believe it was December of 2013. Like right after so we it was, opened. Yeah, yeah. You, you were all pretty new. In fact... I moved to D.C., looked for CrossFit gyms. You weren't on Google yet because I was looking for gyms that were close to my house. And uh, you didn't show up, but I saw you guys when I was driving down 8th Street one day. And I went, oh, I didn't realize there was a CrossFit gym up there and, uh, you know, and looked you up. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and then I remember, I remember specifically working with you either the noon class or 930 in those very early days and talking to you and just finding out what you did and what you do. And you were, uh, still are, obviously, a yoga instructor, and you were working in a yarn store because you yes. knit. Yeah, when I, first, right? when I first moved to D.C., I worked at the Knitting Loft, which was down in the southeast. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> worked in some retail and teaching a little knitting classes. That's awesome. What, what came first, yoga or knitting? Knitting. Really? Yeah. So where did you pick up the knitting thing? I, um, I taught myself how to knit in... Uh, I don't know. I want to say it was probably like 2005 or so. Um, yeah, a, a long time ago, maybe even 2003, um, that I picked up a book and started teaching myself. And it was, you know, something to do with my hands. And uh, I was, it was working as a dancer at that point. Because that's what you went to school for. You went to school for dance? Yeah. Okay. Was, um, yeah, undergrad and grad school. Wow. And there's a fair amount of time like in rehearsals or during the day uh, where you do hang out a, a little bit. And so you're like stretching and doing other things. But sometimes it's nice to have another thing to do that can keep you talking to people or like you can pay attention, but it, it's something to do. So were you actively looking for something to do and you found knitting or did you just find knitting and think, oh, well, this will fit into the things that I'm looking to do? Uh, I found knitting. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I need a new hobby. It just <laughs> was like, this might be fun. Watercolors or knitting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so you sort of stumbled across it and then taught yourself. And then what was the first thing you knitted? Um, I believe, oh, it's a hat. It's a yeah. purple hat. I still have it, actually. It um, has cat, cat ears on it on that's the cool. top. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So that seems like a pretty challenging thing to do for your first thing. I would imagine that most people start with a, a scarf or something that's easy. Are hats easy? Or? Hats are actually very easy. Really? I knit a lot. I made yeah. this hat, actually. Nice um, hat. I, do a, I do a ton of hats because mm. I think they're fat. They're really fast. You can do it in, I mean, I have knit a hat where I would, in like two days before, because I wow. was like, I gotta make this for someone's birthday, and like <laughs> whipped it out. Um, but yeah, uh, the circle thing is is once you get the hang of it, it's, it's fine. not too bad. Yeah, that makes sense. So knitting, so you so you started knitting just to kind of not stay busy, but just be maybe more productive, have something to do with your hands while you're in the downtime of dancing. Uh, why why'd you keep with it? Was it something intentional, or you, you just liked it? I just really liked yeah. it. Yeah, that's cool. It's just piqued my interest and yeah there's always so I mean like CrossFit (laughs) and yoga um, there's always more things to challenge yourself with like you um you can stay easy and and you know stay there or you can be like I want to knit something super complicated and learn how to do all these crazy techniques and do that as well 
Yeah. Um, so you can sort of push yourself out of that <clears throat> comfort zone if you want, but you can totally stay and uh, and be comfortable. So that that comfort zone is kind of the the mindless. You can just you can just turn your mind off and just unwind while you're winding. I, yeah, I call them <laughs> I call them bus projects because oh cool. Um, it's I can stop and start at any point in the project and know exactly where I am when I pick it back up. Got it. Um, so if my stop comes up, I can jump off the bus. You know, or if something happens right. and I need to get up and leave. Um, it's so it's not complicated. It's easy to pick up and put down. Yeah. Where if you were, if you were executing a very elaborate technique, you'd have to finish, you'd have to get to a stop. Get to the end of the row. Like nobody talked to me (laughs) for the next two minutes. I need to make sure that I get all these yarn overs in there. Um, and then I could talk to you. (laughs) Cool. So you joined the gym right after you and Sam moved from Arizona. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So 2013, you moved here from Arizona. From and, Arizona. And that was because Sam, uh, her husband, for those of you who aren't in the know, um, that's because Sam's work moved? Yes. Okay, cool. And then what was your, so you were dancing in Arizona? How'd you, how'd you know to look for CrossFit? When did the CrossFit journey with you start? I, um, I started CrossFit in, I want to say, I think it was February of 2012. Okay. And wow. uh, so I took a, an intro class and started with a gym out in Arizona and and started doing stuff there and liked it so that when, you know, when we decided to move to D.C. that I knew that I was going to try and find a place. That makes sense. That, that I could do that. And so after, after college, so after college, you danced through college. Did you do professional dance when you graduated from college? I did. I, uh, I... Did some professional work, toured with um, some places, and then I had I took over direction of a small company in Tucson wow. for a few years uh, after grad school. Like a dance production company. Yeah, wow. yeah. I worked as an artistic director. So you did all the choreography and. I didn't do all the choreography. It was more of like deciding what we were going to do, oh, and then okay. like hiring people to do the choreography. Sometimes I did it. Sometimes I brought other people in. It was more just, and then just like. All the nitty gritty like wow. scheduling rehearsals and writing grants and you know all that kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff. That's awesome. So you did that for how long? I did that from for f- I think three or four years, from hmm. like 2008 to 2012. Wow. Okay. So then, um, all the, all the while you're you're getting yoga certified. You're teaching yoga. You're doing yoga a lot. Uh, yeah, I got uh, a. Did my yoga teacher training um, in 2010, mm. and it, it was like a long process over the course of the whole year. Okay, right. And then you started teaching. Did did you go to yoga certification to become a better yoga practitioner yourself, or was it with the intention like, no, I want to teach, I want to pursue this passion? Um, it was more of just to explore yoga a little bit deeper. Um, I wasn't quite sure, and the way I did it was... You had to do this intensive first, which was just uh, like a hundred hours of intense practice with wow. like certified teachers. Okay, that qualified you to sign up for the teacher training, but you didn't have to necessarily do the teacher training. Right. So I signed up for this intense workshop because I thought, well, whatever. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. You know, it sounds interesting for sure. And I like physical challenges apparently, and so um, I did that. And then at the end. You know, a bunch of people were signing up, had done it so they could do the teacher training. And they sort of convinced me, like, hey, you should do it. Like, you know, you learn a little bit more. And I was teaching some dance at the time. So okay. I wasn't um, I wasn't 
I was used to teaching. You know, I yeah. knew how to stand up in front of a group of people and tell them what to do. I just didn't know how to tell them how to do yoga because that was very different at right. the time. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting because one of the one of the themes of of your life, as far as I know it, is just this this theme of being a teacher, being a coach, and being kind of uh, a leader of you know of groups of people. And you know, I, I run into some. I ran into a mom who was part of our gymnastics family. She stopped in our gym because she thought that's where the gym was, and then she went on to a ten, and she was like, "Oh, it does." Does Katie Rudder teach here? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, wow, she's awesome. <laughs> so did you, so when you were teaching dance, did you connect with teach, like, did you connect with teaching then? Or is that something that you just kind of started to explore and then realized was kind of a passion? Or have you even realized it's a passion? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I did. Um, I think that's why, like when people were saying, oh, you should do the yoga teacher training. I thought, you know, I do, I do enjoy like, uh, that moment when I, when somebody gets something, you know, when I sort of talk about movement or something and, and I can see it connect in somebody's body and their mind and they get it. Um, and that's pretty fun. You know, um, I like you know, getting up and throwing my body around and being, you know, being silly. Um, I'm still very, I'm like a very silly teacher and I, and I love that a lot. It's, um, I think I resisted it for a long time. Um, but, uh, in yoga, we talk about your dharma, which is your work, you know, like mm. what you're supposed to do. Um, the Bhagavad Gita ta- talks a lot about that in terms of like, you know, um, figuring out what your work is and doing it well. And, um, all of the teaching opportunities in my life have literally fallen into my lap. Yeah. Um, I mean, there have been a few times I've like pursued some, some stuff like a little bit, but for the most part, teaching has constantly followed me around like an opportunity has been there. And so at a certain point I was like, I think maybe the universe is telling me <laughs> that this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Because, like, people just keep being like, hey, you want to teach this? Do you want to teach this? Um, and you said, hey, do you want to be, do you want to teach CrossFit? And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, like, that kind of stuff is, has happened to me a lot with teaching opportunity. Right. And so it's just made me constantly be like, yeah, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, and it, this is a concept I want to explore much deeper in, in a little bit once we sort of get get through get through your history. Um, but this idea, it seems like you were just kind of just open. You were present to opportunities, and when they presented themselves, you realized that you should take it or that it was there. You saw that there was the opportunity when the opportunity presented itself. Sometimes it's really direct, but sometimes it's a little more subtle, like a bunch of people signing up for this thing and you're not exactly sure what it was, but because you were, you were present because you were there, you you noticed it and you, you had the, you had the mindset to be able to take advantage of it where if you were like less mindful, less, less focused, you would just kind of be doing your own thing. And then maybe you leave and you never see that line form or you never see the notice, the people who are signing up and that opportunity that changed kind of the course of your life in a way just kind of vanishes. Maybe you stumble across it later, but anyway, I don't know if that's a question. Um, well, <laughs> I'll say that. So this, that first hundred hour workshop that I took was three three separate weeks. I think it was like January and March and May or something of like six, 
six days of intense practice that equaled a hundred hours after that first week. Um, and it's intense. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the end of like a really long, crazy workout, you know, where you're just like spent, but you feel great, but you also like crying because you just like feel great and terrible at the same time, if that makes sense. And, um, I remember being in, uh, Shavasana and the teachers were talking and they were saying like, oh, you know, you've passed through like this first level, you know, and you should mark this with something like some kind of talisman or some, some kind of idea. And, um, part of that week was just this, like, for me, uh, stepping out of myself a little bit because I felt like I lived so fearfully and so like behind a big wall and like just shut down, Mm. um, just like constantly because I was so scared of everything in the entire world all the time. Really? So while you were leading, like while you had a pretty significant leadership position in this dance company and you're teaching and you're, you're being, you know, really putting yourself out there, you still felt like you were kind of closed off. Like you weren't yourself. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. And, uh, and one of the things is like, um, yeah. So like, Stepping into what you're fearful of. One of the things I'm scared of, or I'm actually pretty better, pretty good about it these days, um, is needles, which is kind of funny. I have a lot of piercings, and I have several tattoos. Yeah. So that was when I got my first tattoo, and it was this one that says "Be, Be bold. bold." Wow. And so that came out of that first week, and and I also be um, behind this was this. I'm gonna say yes to everything for a year. Wow. Everything that's especially and um, those things that are scary. But I'm going to try everything. Yeah. And do it. Right. And then like then I can decide whether or not I like it but I'm going to like step into it. Wow. So early on through the intensive yoga year training it was year or it was a set number of Yeah. So it was like yeah, it was over a whole year that 200-hour certification <clears throat> process right. happened. So very early on in that, you kind of were, were challenged to create the mindset of being open to these opportunities yeah. or just being open to, to what, what's coming your way, that a change is coming and to sort of embrace that change. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's awesome. And like do things that really scared me. Yeah. And so the tattoo, did you? was there any like other... Obviously, signing up to be a yoga, like the yoga certification sign up was another one. Was there anything other that big that sticks out in your mind? Um, no, I think just after that, like I said, I wasn't um, so sure I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, after doing the certification, that studio where I practiced and did the certification, um, they said, ooh, you should be a, you know, we'll put you on the sub list. And then a class came up, Hey, do you want to sub this? And it was terrifying. I didn't want to, (laughs) I didn't want to take this class and, you know, and did that. And a few other teaching opportunities that, that came my way that I didn't want to, because they were really scary. Right. Um, But I did them because I just kept thinking, no, no, this is, you got to learn, you got to do it. So did you do the, the dance uh, studio management. Did you do that for 
the rest of your time in Arizona and you kind of gave that up when you moved or was that something that wound down as yoga instructing wound up? Um, I think if I had stayed in Arizona, it probably would have naturally, it was kind of naturally winding down a little bit, right. but then moving was a good opportunity to create that, um, that makes a little bit of a break there. <laughs> and so when you, when you, by the time you moved, were you a confident yoga instructor? Were you like, were those fears gone or were you still kind of building yourself up? Um, I mean, I think actually they're always still there. I <laughs> don't know if true. I should say that, but, um, but you know, I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a fairly confident teacher, you know, yeah. like I'm okay with standing in front of a group of people, but I still, um, you know, I still like doubt myself or I still have those moments of like, for sure, what the hell am I doing? I have no idea, but yeah. definitely when I moved, I was confident enough to, uh, you know, to feel like, oh, I think I can, I think I could go to DC. I mean, I had no idea what the yoga scene was like here, um, but I felt confident enough to like go to a studio and say, hey, can I um, teach for you? Right. And yeah. Do that. It's really interesting what you said about the idea of um, kind of always being afraid and always feeling like you don't know what you're doing. I think that's the sign of a really good coach in a way. It, it, it could also be the sign of a really bad coach. <laughs> but, you know, the, the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. And then it's, it's that horizon of what you don't know that's, that's a little fearful. Like, what if, what if that scenario of what I don't know comes up? And how do I, how do I handle that? And one thing that, that I really respect about the way you coach, and almost, not, not almost, basically every coach that, that I've interacted with and respected, and certainly all the coaches at Old City, it's like, if, if, you, if you ask me something that I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. You know, and then I'm going to I'm going to really work hard to try to figure it out. But I'm I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's a really good question. Let me go figure that one out because you don't know something doesn't mean you're not a good coach. Right. It just means that you haven't gotten that far in your education yet. Right. Uh, so I think that's I think that's a really common fear. And actually, in the business, I, I had a very similar fear, you know, like I don't. I started the gym and it was going pretty well. And then we ran into some challenges and then we worked to overcome those challenges. And then I felt like I was doing really well again. And I was talking to my friend who runs a pretty successful gym. And I was telling him, I was like, I don't really know, think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> He's like, don't worry, nobody does. And he, he has a network of, of people who run, you know, million dollar businesses, bigger than that, smaller than that. And one of the, one of the things that's in common with every time they meet up is this idea that everyone out there is just kind of winging it, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe winging it is a little too extreme. Uh, but it's this idea that the only thing you can do each day is your best. Like all I can do when I wake up is my best effort. When I come into the gym, my best effort, when I wake up and do work for the gym, when I go and I coach, all I can offer is my best. And then I owe it to the people that I work with and the people who work with me to make my best better every day. And I think if I'm not doing either of those, I'm doing both our members and, and our team a disservice. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> I, that's a, I, I use that kind of uh, stuff a lot where it's, I think about... Because sometimes that you know, I think about like, okay, what am I offering the world? Like, what you know, trying to look at examples, and then I think like, oh no, this is like the world has never been like this in this moment, and with me in it, and so, 
yeah, just kind of trying to figure it out along the way. And that same thing where they're like, there is no blueprint of like, if you do A, B, C, D, this will happen. That's not a guarantee. And that, you know, everybody wants a blueprint, but we don't have that. And the sooner we accept that, like, well, it's really scary. So some people don't want that to accept that. And I get that. Like, that's fine. You know, yeah. you don't have to. But for me, remembering that, yeah, you know, we're all figuring out as we go along and that no one's perfect is a great reminder. Just, right. you know, we're all messy humans. And, you know, and so we try stuff, we fail, we come back, we try stuff, like we try something different and working from there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. It's, it's, I think it's first recognizing that you're not perfect, not, not you, but like me, I'm not perfect. And I recognize that no one really, no human is perfect and that it creates this humility that if I, if I try my best, I know that my best is sometimes not going to be good enough and I'm going to disappoint people. I'm not going to perform as, as good as I could. Maybe I, I have a bad day of coaching. Maybe it's a bad day, a bad week, a bad month in the gym of whatever leadership and all the things that we do in the gym. But if I'm trying my best and people recognize that I'm trying my best, having the humility or maybe it's reducing the ego. Maybe that's what it is. It's just knowing that I'm not perfect. It also gives me perspective in holding other people to standards as well. It's like if, if I know that I have off days, I can't then look at you and expect you never to have a bad day. You know, it's come in and man, Katie, your classes are always great, but today sucked. You're fired. <laughs> you know, that, that would seem, that would seem like a ridiculous standard. And I think a lot of leaders I've had specifically in the Navy sort of don't have that perspective of it's, it's okay to have, it's okay to have a bad day, but it's when every day is a bad day because you're not trying, because you're not doing your best. It's figuring out the motivation for what's causing the underperformance. Is it just, just one of those days? Did you just make a mistake? Did something come up? Are you stressed, stressed in your life or, or whatever? Or did you stay up too late drinking and not, you know, did you make bad decisions that led to this bad outcome? And I think that's, that ties into doing your best. And anyway, I think it's, I think it's a really important, it's a really important concept to explore in yourself. You know, are you trying your best every day? What can you do to improve your performance each day? And then how can you encourage and inspire others to perform to their best? And one thing you're really good at is creating that expectation of, of performance, but in a way that doesn't create um, judgment if the performance isn't lived up to. You know? Yeah, that um, that sort of, uh, you know, I think for me that can be a tricky place in, in yoga where I'm like, okay, we're all awesome. Like, whatever you're doing is great. You're beautiful. Okay, now try harder. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I think yoga can sometimes fall into one or two camps of like, okay, I got to, you know, that sort of, and, and CrossFit does this where sometimes, not old city, but, you know, where it's, or people are people have this expectation that like I'm gonna come in the gym, the coach is gonna yell at me, I'm not gonna get this, I'm not gonna get my friend time under ten minutes, and they're gonna tell me I'm a piece of garbage. And some people respond to that and that they want to be coached like that. That's right. totally fine. Uh, but some, but a lot of times people are afraid of that. And I say, no, you know, we, you, know, we, we want to be encouraging. And I think sometimes what happens in yoga, not all yoga, it depends on the type of yoga, but we get into this like 
everything is awesome, like, whatever you do is beautiful, so, like, you know, your pose can be sort of, you know, and some poses are supposed to be soft and relaxed, but then, you know, some poses need a little bit more engagement, or if you want to change your pose, if you are like, oh, this is the way this pose looks now, but I'd like it to be a little bit, I like to go a little further into it, well, you're going to have to work a little bit harder, and then it's like, well, does that mean that I'm not good enough? You know, are you saying I'm not good enough? No, I'm saying that you just have to do a little bit more. Like, that's no uh, judgment on you as a person, but that we have to, you know, push a little bit. Yeah, there's it's it's the balance of having standards of practice, you know, in yoga, standards of... I mean, really, honestly, yoga and CrossFit are so similar. It's basically the same conversation, right? In CrossFit, we want to have standards of movement and ensure that those standards of movement are upheld as the weights get heavier and heavier. And I might challenge an athlete to go heavier or they might challenge me and say, Hey, I want to go heavier. And maybe in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I don't know if they can do it, but, but let's see, right? Let's, let's enter this challenge. And not everyone, like not everything is correct. You know, if, if they pick up the kettlebell and start swinging and their spine is moving all over the place, then I need to tell them to stop, right? I can't be like, oh, well, that was that was wonderful and that was great. Like, no, that sucked. <laughs> Maybe not with those words, but hey, that was, you know, here's some good things, here's some bad things. Let's go down and wait and focus on the good things so that we can build up strength and stamina for the bad things. But it's this idea that, you know, as coaches, we absolutely judge, you know, movement and judge things, but it's it's judgment from a perspective of trying to create improvement, of trying to create excellence, of challenging people to discover more about themselves. I see I see CrossFit and really, I mean, I've I've said this before on the on the podcast and, and just to people, I think anything that you do that's hard in life is there to provide a challenge in your life so that you can break through that challenge and become a better person on the other side. And as coaches, we have to offer a challenge because if we don't offer a challenge, then, then we're not offering the opportunity for the person to get better because of the challenge. Right? So if not that I ever would, but if I'm coaching yoga and someone's doing a weak ass pigeon pose, (laughs) I need to challenge them to do a better pigeon because through the practice of better pigeoning, they're going to be a better human. (laughs) And it's, it's the way that you deliver that challenge, I think, is, is the sign of a great coach because every coach has their different spin on how to offer these challenges. The way you challenge people to be better is different than Jen, is way different than me, um, but it's all coming from the same place, right? Like I want to see you grow in CrossFit, in yoga, but more importantly, I want to see you grow as a human and not that... You know, I don't, I don't know. This gets super judgmental. Not that like, if you don't do challenges, you're not a good human, sort of thing. But this idea that if you conquer a challenge here in the gym, then you can go out in life and you have the confidence to know that you can conquer challenges that come out there because it wasn't as hard as what you've already done. Well, yeah, I definitely think challenge is important. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe not good human, but like, if yeah. you're not challenging yourself in some way, whether it's in the gym, whether it's in, you know, your yoga practice, and it doesn't have to be a physical thing. It could be like, I'm going to learn a new skill or I'm going to read, you know, some, uh, whatever you want to read, uh, or, or anything at all that you become a very stagnant individual and right. that you're, that you, I mean, 
you're going to get a little bit lost too, I think. Like the world's going to start to pass you by. And I think that does happen to people sometimes. And they, you know, I think we get those, you know, they walk into the yoga studio or the gym and they're like, oh, I, re- I realized that I am lost myself 10 years ago and I kind of stayed and, you know, that was bad. Like I got on this path that wasn't serving me and it was comfortable but then I realized, like, uh, eventually it becomes uncomfortable because you recognize that, you know, something has happened. Maybe you stayed on this pattern of not moving and you have zero mobility and you, all of a sudden you're like, I can't walk down the street without hurting my knees. Or, you know, I stayed on this path of, like, eating a lot of junk food and all of a sudden, like, I'm 50 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. And so then they have to, you know, then they start to make that shift, hmm. hopefully, that, you know, uh, and you know, like I said, walk into the gym, walk into the yoga studio and realize that they need that a little bit of challenge. Yeah, definitely. I, f- I forget who it was, but it was a podcast. It was somebody, somebody I was listening to recently that framed this really, really well. They said, like, uh, it was Dan Carlin on, uh, from Hardcore History on Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. He goes, he goes, life is a verb. You, you have to move through it. You have to fight through it. You have to get through it. You, if, if you stay stagnant, you get defeated. And that's exactly, I mean, I, like when, when I heard that, it was, it was all of these things that I've been putting off. Oh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll do that later. Oh, I'll, you know, diet starts tomorrow. That sort of thing, right? It was, no, start now. Challenge now. Move forward now. Because through movement is the only way that I'm going to, improve my situation, I guess. And whether your situation is you're unhappy with how you look and how you feel, how you move, if you're, you know, unhappy and really like basically any situation in life, it takes action to solve that problem, right? If, if you don't have the best relationships with your friends or your family or your loved ones, doing nothing isn't going to improve it, right? Get counseling, go to, go to a workshop, do something active to improve your situation and it's going to improve, right? Or it's going to change and change is, is better than, than the trajectory of, of no action, which is just the same and the same almost always gets worse. Yeah. And I feel, and you know, uh, one thing that I've learned throughout the years is that if you don't learn how to face challenges, whether or not they're, you're successful or not, doesn't really matter, but that you have to know how to get that get challenged and not back away from it which is something like for me that was that whole living in fear that I backed away from a lot of challenges and then and sort of just like then was like fine I'll just live in like this little box by myself and then I was like oh wait but I'm not connecting with others I'm you know probably losing out on like opportunity to further myself like in my career or as a person and you know and uh and realizing that Stepping out, learning how to face a challenge uh, is is super important. Right. And in the CrossFit gym and the yoga studio is a lot of times where people learn how to face something. Yeah. And then it's sort of like, yeah, you know, if you can do, uh, you know, this stupid workout we have today, they're not stupid. <laughs> but like I always say that, like, if this is the hardest thing that you have to do today, great. And then tomorrow when you have a challenge you know with a person you can remember like oh I'm strong I know how to I know how to do uh, I know how to sweat I know how to cry I know how to uh, you know 
be out of breath and feel like I can't do one more and do one more. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, maybe that thing that's happening in your office with your coworker won't seem as daunting For or sure. you'll just at least know how to face it a little bit better. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting cause I look at challenges from two different ways. There's overcoming the adversity of a challenge, right? That situation where the barbell's on the ground and you have to do another squat clean or maybe 10 more squat cleans and then you have to run a lap and, and you do it and you win and that's, that's overcoming a challenge. That's great. But I think it's also equally great to be defeated by that challenge, right? To look at that barbell and to see 30 seconds left on an AMRAP and to not pick it up again, you know? to be weak in that moment and to, to reflect on that moment and to think like, oh man, like I got, I got beat today, today kind of won this workout kind of won. I I had more, but I, I couldn't tap into it. And that creates an opportunity to explore like why you didn't push yourself further. Maybe you don't have a a great relationship with pain. Maybe, maybe you, you're a really big negative self-talker. Like these, these are basically like me, right? Like I look at that barbell and I think all the negative thoughts like, Oh God, I'm so tired. I don't want to pick it up. It's going to hurt real bad, blah, 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 blah. And when the, when the timer runs out, I feel this immediate sense of relief. Like, yeah, I got out of it. But then as I'm kind of sitting on the ground, reflecting on my performance in the workout and just who I want to be as a person, I'm a little disappointed in myself. Not not something that I'm going to carry around and mow home because I missed a rep, but just it's an opportunity that I missed to challenge myself to be better. And by missing it, it made me aware of this tendency that I have of just continuous negative self-talk. So maybe the next time I'm in that situation and I start negative self-talking because I failed, I'm now aware. And now maybe I don't do five reps in that 30 seconds, but maybe I pick it up and knock out one more. And maybe instead of 30 seconds, that, that negative self-talk doesn't, doesn't kick in until 15 seconds. And it's just a constant way to, to evaluate who you are and to improve who you are, right? And to me, it, that, that can be taken super judgmentally in that I'm trying to improve who I am relative to who you want me to be. But really what I'm doing is trying to improve who I am relative to who I want to be, relative to the standards I have for myself, right? If I were to, if I were to sit down and write a, a journal of my virtues, quitter <laughs> wouldn't be on that list, yet I quit all the time. And so developing the, the awareness of when I quit happens at extreme challenge, right? Like, oh man, you quit watching that net Netflix show, <laughs> you weakling. <laughs> quit. You quit smoking, you quitter. <laughs> That's right. But it's it's like, yeah, that was a that was a six minute AMRAP and and you quit in that last minute. Like be better than that. Challenge, you know, are you a quitter or are you a winner? And, you know, that to me that's that's my relationship with with the challenge. And I think that's why it's really, really important to constantly seek new challenges. Like you were saying with the knitting, once the comfortable gets too comfortable, it's no longer a challenge. It just becomes something that you can do mindlessly, which is important too. But what's the next challenge? I think that's cool. So what a perfect segue. So your next challenge after yoga instructing um, was CrossFit, was doing CrossFit and then coaching CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, so um, uh, one of the things... I'm going to back up a little. I'm going to back up. (laughs) Hopefully not too much. But um, one of the things that yoga gave me was this opportunity to, like, redefine my relationship with my body. Oh, interesting. So as a dancer, I spent years standing in front of a mirror, moving, and judging, judging everything, Mm. which is great. I mean... Well, okay, I'll just keep going and then we can come back. Um, but, like, it's, it's, that can be rough. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I was one of the lucky, lucky ones. You know, there's a lot of people are like, oh, you know, dancers are, have a lot of problems with body issue, and they do. And there are, there's some outside pressure, and then there's, like, so much internal pressure. And no one ever said to me, like, oh, you should lose weight, you'd be great. But, like, I've, I put that on myself. Yeah. And so there was this constant, like, oh, looking at myself in the mirror, not even judging the movement, but just being like, I look gross. Like, <laughs> every day. Just, right. you know, like, uh, um, all the time. Hmm. And, uh, and just, like, feeding that into, you know, into the way I thought about myself and everything. Just being like, oh, you're so terrible, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then letting that sort of then define like what I did so I looked at exercise as a thing that I had to do you know I went to the gym and I got on the elliptical because like I had to be skinny because that's the way the world worked you know and like everything would be better if I was skinnier or what you know yeah so exercise was was to fuel that that body image it was never yeah yeah. it was a punishment you know and like that kind of thing that I still see now and now it makes me so sad because I'm like oh I know how that feels and I um you know I'm on the other side of it so I Mm. get it but like at the same time it makes me sad like this oh my god I ate goldfish today I better get on the elliptical for an extra 10 minutes today you know and like uh, it's such a slog it's so boring and like exercise is terrible I hate it it's so boring like everything it was and that's why I liked dancing because it was something to do (laughs) and move like I didn't mind the movement but I just needed something for my mind to do at the same time and so yoga was helpful in that uh, you know, it's actually, it's like slower, but at the same time, I was definitely thinking about things. And, you know, I found a good teacher that I really liked who was like giving alignment cues and talking about what's happening in the pose versus, okay, take this pose. And then like nothing's happening in the class, you know, and you're like, am I doing this right? Like what's happening? What are we supposed to be doing? Um, people who have taken my class know that I talk a lot for that same reason, um, just to kind of maybe too much. But uh, I'm working on it. But, you know, to kind of fill that space a little bit just to, like, ease people into into stuff and give them something to do at, at the same time because they're actually not still. They're very active poses. Yeah. Um, but so um, then, I, then I realized when I slowed down and I listened that, I, that this was happening. Like, I just didn't realize it. Or I just didn't, like, give it a face. Yeah. So, so the... It was happening. You were going through all this internal judgment and it was, it was operating. I mean, certainly you were conscious of it, but you weren't like totally aware of it in, in the global perspective, right? Like Katie, you talking to Katie then would, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> just like this concept, like, 
oh, you're ugly, you look terrible, you're so fat, like all of these things that were just like, it was, I mean, it's just on a loop right. that I think I just got used to it as yeah. well. And when I slowed down and listened to it and like just really thought about it, um, I thought, this is awful. Like if I said this to another person, that'd be so mean, like that'd be so rude and terrible. And I, uh, I read something at one point and it was a joke, but I loved it. It said, don't, don't say bad things about yourself behind your back. Yeah. And I, and, and that kind of made me click in and said, and I thought, would I say this to other people? And I think a lot of people do this where it's like, you say things to yourself that you would never say to another person because right. you recognize how mean they are, yeah. but you say them to yourself and you think it's okay. And, uh, and when I, I, it was just a big, I mean, it wasn't like one big day light bulb. It was a gradual kind of like, <clears throat> and again, going back to this, like living in fear, I realized that my biggest judge was myself yeah. and that I was in so much fear of other people judging me, but actually was in so much fear of myself and what yeah. I was thinking. That's probably true with everybody. I mean, everybody, you're not, a, yeah, you're afraid of other people judging you and thinking that you look silly, but only because you're judging the way they're judging you. It's like, because you want to be liked by other people or because you want other people to think you're something. And it, it comes from a place of, of need. Like I need, I need, I need, or I want, I want, I want, and not a place of like, I am right. Like this is, this is me. And then I lived like I, in sort of this like very polished exterior where I was just like, trying to put forth this like very um, false so, or like very practiced demeanor and was never real around people because I was afraid yeah. of like what that would look like, <laughs> you know, and what happened if I fell apart in front of somebody. Like, and that's crazy because when you, when you live in that, that fake world, you're, you're making it a reality, right? Like you're afraid of falling apart in front of people, but you're in the process of falling apart in front of people, you know? But then when you, when you take action to, you know, sort of improve, improve your perspective, improve your, your self-talk, your self-worth, all of the judgment that you put on yourself, now you're less likely to break down in front of people or, you know, you're, you're in a better situation for other people. It's, it's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And then you can have like real relationships and like actually connect with people, which I was totally missing at the time. Like I just didn't know how to do it. And I realized like, Oh, it's totally me. Like I have this, this mask on that is, um, that is hiding myself from most people. And you think the mindfulness approach of your yoga practice kind of helped create that perspective? Yeah, because again, it was like, I just, I tuned in and I recognized that I was the one like being really mean to myself and that I was what I was so afraid of. And, um, you know, and then just tried to shift that, um, which was a practice in and of itself. It certainly was not a like, okay, I'm mean, great. Now I'm nice. Right. Like that was not easy. Yeah, it, was, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I mean, that was like 30 years of, of like, I mean, not 30, I didn't start like in utero, <laughs> but, um, you know, all these years of, of doing that becomes a habit mm-hmm. and like any other habit, you have to break it and you have to like, you have, so you have to be mindful that it's happening and then you, and then, and make that shift. And so that, I think that's where the mindfulness helped. Like I started to notice more like, Hey, that's happening. Stop it. 
you know, and then having a new habit to put into place to, to switch that. So were you, were you noticing, did you start this, this, um, awareness of what you were doing to yourself while you were still dancing? Yes. So walk me through, walk me through how you started, you know, the process of creating a better mental framework for yourself. Um, I decided, I don't even know, I don't know where this came from, but I made a list of things that I could do, things that were awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and, oh, I started one day, I took a yoga class where we did a 10 minute headstand and I'd been working on headstand a lot for a while and we had been building and, uh, the teacher said, we're going to do 10 minutes of headstand, come out when you need, you know, like, like, you know, all the instructions there. But this was like an advanced class where... You know, this was, like I said, we had been working on it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so long. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I got into it and did it. And it was just, like, the best thing. You know, it was like, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. I could do that. And so I made this list. You you did a 10-minute headstand. Like, you can do, you know, it was, like, all these things that that were, that I, um, that I liked about myself. Yeah. And... And then when I found myself having those moments of like, you're stupid, then I'd be like, no, you can, Yeah. You know. Was that list all things like, I can do a 10 minute handstand, I can do these physical things, or were they judgments about yourself that you did like? Like, I like my hair, I like my whatever. Was it, because it sounds like a lot of the judgment that you put on yourself in dance was, you know, body image that sort of stuff, like, oh, I, I should be skinnier, like, this should be bigger, this should be smaller, that sort of stuff. So on your affirmation sheet, were there, like, things that you liked about yourself appearance-wise? Or I was don't it, totally remember, yeah. but I think there, I think it was both. Yeah. Um, a little, um, because, because, like, it did start in this physical, you know, I think a lot of the self-talk was physical, but it was mental, too. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of, like, oh, don't raise your hand and, like, in class and talk because everyone's going to think you're really stupid because right. you are. Right. So, um, you know, there was some of that too. Like, I think, you know, it sort of just bled into every area of, of my life. So you started creating a list of positive virtues of, of accomplishments. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, and then you just pull that out whenever, whenever the negative self-talk kicked in. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. like, you know, memorized a few of them sure. so that I could just bring that in, um, and, you know, and then sometimes had to reread it and go back to it. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, and sometimes it was just like the same one every day, you know, yeah. just like, I'm just going to come back to that again and again. And, but just trying to like, like I said, break that habit and make mm-hmm. that shift. Wow. And then, so, so you started to make some traction with that and that started to work? Was was it just getting better and better at doing that process? Was it just iterating on that process and noticing sooner and rejecting the negative self-talk faster with a ever-expanding list of amazing accomplishments? Or did, you, did that turn into something else? Or did you bring in other things to help sort of sway the tide? Um, I think it was that was a... It was mostly that for a while, just um, just kind of riding that wave and staying with you know all the same things I've been doing in in the world and uh, and just trying to like make that shift. And at the same time, I was still you know then 
working on that, like, being bold and stepping, you know, a little bit more out into the world. So not only am I, like, trying to push through that boundary of fear, but I'm also trying to, like, let go of judgment and just, like, let things happen um, yeah. ha- there. So, I, so, you know, they were sort of feeding into each other a little bit. But right. I think then, like, that helped me make that jump into um, appreciating, like, what my body could do and enjoying mm. Enjoying it that enjoying myself that way of like, okay, this I I enjoy being out of breath not because it's like oh I'm getting fitter like I yeah. burned some calories but like because I'm like working and that's you know feeling a little bit of that endorphin rush because it was like it's just something fun to do versus like I have to do this right it's it's like you you changed when you when you change the perspective of why you're doing something then you change the, you know, what that thing means. So for exercise, if you're just showing up to lose some weight for something that probably subconsciously, you know, isn't a really good reason, but consciously it's super important, or maybe it's the other way around, right? When, when the value you place on something is not that important, then you don't, you know, you don't put any effort into it. What was your perspective? So your perspective on exercise, once you sort of made this shift, was it more focused on like adding more things to that list of awesomeness or was it just the challenge, like looking for new challenges? It was a challenge. Like all of a sudden I was like, okay, now I'm into like a challenge to see if I can do it versus that sort of like punishment aspect. But like, Hey, what? And I always went to like run and like run a 5k. So it was like, okay, rather than being like, I should run because runners are skinny. It was like, now I wonder if I can like work myself up to running a 5k just because like that seems hard yeah. and um and uh and signing up for one and being like okay now I'm gonna like see what that's like right. so it sounds like it sounds like the list the accomplishment list helped create a mental framework that transformed your body from like your your perception of your body from what it is like in the mirror to what it can do yeah absolutely to what it can be Right. Like in the future, like like what I've done. And then it sounds like once that list of what you've done grew, it started to grow outwardly to, oh, shit, what can I do now? Yeah. Right? Like, can absolutely. I run a 5K? Can I do a pull up? Can I do? Can I do? And probably these weren't like lines in the sand, like May 3rd, 1942. This transition happened in Katie's life Not that you were alive in 1942. <laughs> but uh, so it was just sort of an evolution. Sounds like. Yeah. 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 So then I, yeah, being, starting to like push myself into that, yeah, became where that moved into. And so the running uh, became a big thing. Yeah. Where I, I started running more and more. I did the 5K, was like, that's great. The next day I was like, I'm going to do a half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Signed up for a half marathon awesome. for six months later. Did that. Um, you know, uh, and then, and, um, yeah, and then like a year, probably a year after that, started doing CrossFit. Okay. And yeah. along that same thing, like, um, I was like, oh, I want to be faster and I want to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was able to walk into the the CrossFit gym and go, okay, now I'm now I'm ready for this. I mean, you know, that wasn't. I was like, now I'm ready for this. Right. But I think. Uh, you know, that that's where that kind of led to. Yeah. Was. That's really interesting. Do, do, 
I would imagine that you're never, you know, you're never cured of those negative self talk. You know, you're never, you're never fully cured of that, that image that you developed as a dancer, right? Like looking in the mirror, like, Oh, if only, you know, I was skinnier. If only I was this, does that still exist in your, in, or have you, is it possible to totally eliminate it? I don't, that's a good question. I feel like maybe it is possible and it's still, but it still pops up for me, Yeah, you know, a fair amount. For sure. Um, but again, you know, I kind of try to keep, you know, some days are better than others, but like kind of try and, I mean, these days now it's not like, oh, you know, you look so fat. It's more like, oh, I wish my arms were bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish I looked more jacked. But um, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That's Man, a, why don't I have more definition in my quads? Or like, you know, I want a better butt, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because it's, it's really fascinating. And, and I have a, a, similar, a similar story with my relationship with, with pain, right? I mean, I grew, up, I grew up swimming my whole life. And swimming is, is basically how hard can you push your body every single day in practice? And the person who can push themselves the hardest every single day typically swims faster than the people who don't, <laughs> you know? And so all through – and I started swimming at a, at a fairly high level, I mean – eight, seven, eight, nine, you know, all the way up. I mean, to the point where I remember my seventh grade year, I had to take a break because I was burnt out. You know, I was what, 11, <laughs> you know, burnt out from swimming when, when you're 11. And, uh, but when I, when I started training back in high school, eighth grade, and then, and then through high school, I just remember every time I got to that point where it was like cross the threshold or kind of pull off the, the gas a little bit and you know, dive deep into the pain cave or not, it was always not. It was always the choice not to because there was something inside that was just stopping me from going there. But when a competition came, I went there because I wanted to win, you know, and I wanted to do that. But the problem was, since I wasn't there every day in practice, I would start losing and I wasn't performing as well because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have that relationship. And I, I probably struggled with that my entire high school career without, you know, there would be days where I'd stumble into it and I would just, the, the, the stars would align and everything would be perfect and I would have the positive self-talk and I had the right meal before, you know, whatever it was that, that put, up, put all the dots in alignment and I would crush, I would crush it. I would go deep into that pain cave and I would live there and I would love it and I would enjoy it. But then the afternoon practice, I, I couldn't tap into it again. It wasn't, it wasn't on demand. It was just whenever it came to me, whenever the inspiration came to me, I had a brilliant performance in practice. And then it started to be the same way in, in meets where I couldn't even tap into it in meets because I was like, for whatever reason, I was just afraid of it. I, I didn't even know. I didn't even have the awareness that this was happening. I just knew that I gave up in practice and I, I should try harder. But I didn't realize, I didn't connect it to the fact that I was deathly afraid, not deathly afraid, but I was I was really afraid of going deep into that, exploring that pain. And it wasn't until college I read the Lance Armstrong um, autobiography. And whatever Lance is today, in 2002, you couldn't have found a a bigger idol, you know, especially for, especially I was from Texas. He was from Texas, you know. Anyway, he was basically the biggest hero you could imagine for an athlete. And, uh, and in his book, they were like, they were talking and they're saying cycling is so hard, Lance. It's, there's so much pain in it. You know, what, what pleasure do you, do you get from, from all of this, all of this training, all of this pain? It's pleasure. 
It's like, I don't get pleasure. I don't do it for the pleasure. I do it for the pain. And then something just switched in my mind and it was like, oh, wait a minute. The pain isn't something that should be feared. The pain is something that is there to be explored. The pain is there because I want it to be there. And then, and then over the next year and a half, and then when I found CrossFit and beyond, it was exploring that relationship with pain and learning, like changing the 30 years of negative self-talk that pain is bad to creating a new relationship with pain, saying that pain is good. Pain is, is how, how I learn about myself. Like all the, all the concept of challenge that we had, the whole conversation around challenge is the exact same conversation around pain, right? Pain is the challenge. Overcoming, overcoming this pain, getting more pain, wanting more pain, enjoying that point in a race where your arms start to feel wobbly and, and the water feels like cement and you still have another 75 meters to go in the race, but it doesn't matter because you're there. You're in that deep in that pain cave. And it's really interesting how, how long the evolution of the mind takes to break down these, these things that we build up, you know, like for you, it was a lot of these body image things that just get built up and built up and built up. And then it takes a decade to have control of it again. Maybe, you know, maybe some people a little shorter, maybe some people a lot longer. And for me, I mean, it's still, it's still something I struggle with all the time. I mean, I'm in the middle of a workout or sometimes I don't even get to the workout because I look at the workout. I'm like, man, that's going to hurt a lot. (laughs) And it's, I catch myself in that struggle all the time. And I, um, and, and I really, I, I try to, I try to be better with it and I am better with it today than I was 10 years ago, but still it's, it's interesting how these things always just linger and how you might learn a tactic or you might learn an approach or you might learn some methodology that makes it better, that improves it. But it never really, um, I don't want to be pessimistic, but it seems like it never really goes away. I think that goes back to also this idea that, you know, uh, that nobody's perfect or we're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah. So it's, that's also, you know, something that I remind myself of is like, oh, we're all like everybody's suffering. Um, there's a story about Buddha. <laughs> We're going to bring it back to, yes. to yoga where uh, there's a, a um, you know, a woman is, has lost her child and she's suffering and she's, and she says, um, you know, she asks for help and, and the Buddha says, well, find me somebody who has, is not suffering and she can't find, because mm. everybody has their own battles. Yeah. Like they, uh, you know, everybody's constantly fighting their own inner demons or outer demons too, but like, um, uh, you know, the teaching being that like, we all have, you know, and, and everybody's on a different level, you know, I mean, there's no comparing of like, who's suffering the most or like, who's got the worst situation, but just that remembrance um, of that we're all fighting our own battles, that for me helps with compassion and remembering that, you know, we're all, again, we're all human, you yeah. know. Um, it's going back to that, like, we're all, we're all connected, too. And, um, and even though you might look at somebody and be like, they're so amazing, like, how do they get through? And, you know, they have their own thing, for sure that there are, you know, fighting through whatever that is. Yeah. That's a great point because I think often, especially with, with Instagram and social media and, and you, you see so much of people's fake lives or the lives, you know, their best moments 
I'm not going to put a picture on Instagram of me failing in something and being, you know, like totally distraught. Uh, like the pictures on Instagram of are like me doing things that are awesome, right? Super cool things. So you see the highlights of people's lives, but you never see the lowlights. And so you build this imagery of people in your mind that says, oh, well, Katie's perfect. Like she works out all the time. She looks great. She's this, she's that, she's that. But they don't see the struggles that you go through to, to, or they don't see the struggles that you're overcoming to, to be there. They don't see the inside like, ah, I really don't want to be here today, but I'm going to put on a good face and, you know, make it work. They just see the highlights. The, right. The yeah. Nobody reels. sees like the the messiness or the just the mundane of the yeah. of the rest of the day or even like the mundaneness. You know, you might be like, here's a video of me like doing some back squats. It's amazing. But like they haven't seen the 10 years of work you've put in to get to that place or, you know, or, or even like all the accessory work that you did before you did those back squats, you right. know, that... Um, so it's like, oh no, it's not just going to the gym and like do some back squats for Instagram. It's like, no, I did, I was at the gym for, you know, two hours or whatever, you know, to get, uh, and then all the stuff before then. And then after that, you know, I still had to like do my laundry and, uh, you know, walk home. Like, you know, all that sort of in between. Right. So what's, what's really interesting about this conversation is it, it, it's sort of been focused around this concept of using challenge to overcome an obstacle in your life that that's been holding you back in some sort of way, you know, be it body image, being relationships with pain, being, you know, I'm sure as many people as there are on the planet, there's challenges that need to be overcome. And the, the conversation we've been having is, all right, so there's an obstacle here. I recognize it. Now we're going to use challenge to help improve our relationship with this obstacle, maybe overcome the obstacle or change the obstacle into something that's more productive and less destructive to our life. So what if, what if you don't know, like, how do you get to the point of noticing the negative self-talk around body image issues? How do you get to the point of noticing that you have a terrible relationship with pain? How do you, how do you create the awareness in your life to realize that there's something holding you back? Um, well, I feel like this might be a loaded question, but, or, and you, and you want me to talk about meditation? Well, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like meditation is an answer, but I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like, is that the only answer? We can certainly dive into meditation, but like part of, part of what, part of what I think you do really well in coaching and just as a human in, in the time that I've known you is this ability to be introspective and explore yourself and, uh, be able to pull those things out. I think that's really interesting and I'm fascinated by it because, um, you know, I'm aware of some of, some of my faults and some of the things I'm working on doing, but I'm sure I'm unaware of a thousand more of them, you know? And I'm, I've been fascinated recently with, with the concept of, of exploring internal to be better externally, right? If, if I want the gym to be better, if I want to be a better coach, if I want to be a better business, if I want to be a better leader within the business, if I want to be better to my team, then I need to be a better, I need to be better for myself and to myself. And if, and if I'm not, I'm doing a disservice. So how do I improve myself? Well, I need to find those things that are limiting me and delimit them (laughs) or remove them or change them. And so yeah, it's a loaded question because I know you're super wise on, on the meditation front, but also you, you have a much deeper perspective than just, you know, just meditation. So I'm curious with, 
you know, with your experience and where you've been in life, what tactics you've employed to develop such introspection? Well, I think, yeah, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or introspection, they're kind of all interrelated and they sort of all touch on the same thing. I definitely, um, a, a lot of times will approach this idea not in a super spiritual kind of way unless I'm teaching it in a yoga class because people, you know, everyone's like, oh, meditation. And meditation and mindfulness in 2017, 2018, we'll see if this holds up, is becomes so such a buzzword. Yeah, for it's sure. Like all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, look, my mindfulness is the new black. Like, you know, everyone's <laughs> t- talking about it and how it's going to do uh, do all the things for you. Um, but it's, I mean, I guess I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's not going to do all the things for you. But um, for me, you know, like I said, it was a lot of like slowing down and pausing mm. at, to listen. Like I was kind of just like rushing through everything. So, you know, it's, it was taking that moment every day and just sitting down and not to stop thoughts again like meditation isn't stopping your thoughts but but a little bit actually I like the idea of listening to your thoughts Mm. because you're not going to stop them right that's impossible and I know there is this idea of like oh I gotta sit down and not think don't think don't think don't think oh god I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm thinking thinking about not thinking don't think don't think think." stop it cut it off you suck I'm so bad at meditation (laughs) and uh but rather this like that you notice when you're when you're thinking and you notice what you're thinking about so that mm. sometimes when i sit you know i'll i sometimes always i'll start thinking but then i think but then i notice what is pulling me today like what what is that thing that's pulling me off my center right and sometimes it's important sometimes it's not and i'm just like you know, unfocused. And that's fine. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh, whatever. I started to think about something random. But sometimes it is maybe something that's that I need to address, you know, a little bit. And I just recognize like, oh, there's this thing that's bothering me that's that's there that keeps pulling me off my center. And sometimes things pop up, like stuff that I didn't know was and that I was either still holding on to or something that I needed to work through. Mm. So, um, you know, something random will pop up and will pull me off. And I'll, when I come back and I recognize like, Oh, that's this weird thing. That's that came up. I wonder what it is that I need to, uh, you know, and it's not like, Oh, I'll necessarily just like work through it. But, uh, but it's that noticing where my mind is spiraling, like what, where it tends to go. And, like I said, that's not always going to be, like, the answer, but it can be helpful in 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 recognizing what, what tends to pull you off. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if I've ever thought about meditation in that, in that regard. Um, because what I heard was this, this, this idea that when you, when you sit down to meditate, yeah, you're not, you're not thinking about not thinking. You're noticing what you are thinking. And then... Once you notice what you are thinking, then you think about what you're thinking about. Mm, actually, 
ideas, like you notice what you're thinking about, and then you return. You return to you return to the moment, and then you try and see if you can let it fly by. Right, and um, you know, so it doesn't become like a thinking period. It's right. not like oh, this maybe this is really important. I should think about it. Um, Got it. It's it's oh, I notice that this is coming in. Can I let it go and come back to the breath and come back to the moment? Right, kind of thing. Yeah. So then. So then just creating that awareness of what it is that you tend to be focused on in your, in your just monkey brain, maybe that's your subconscious thoughts or maybe it's your conscious thoughts, whatever it is, like you're just, you're constantly just noticing, oh, I notice that, I notice that I'm, I'm thinking a lot about my grocery lists and stuff like that. Let it go. I notice that. I'm thinking about how much the workout tonight's going to suck. Let it go. And then you just you just let it go. And then over time, I guess I guess where I'm getting stuck on this is is the idea that that if let's back up. Let's just zoom out a lot. What why would one meditate? Like what's the objective? The objective is to um be in the moment and and to be focused on what's happening in your world at that present moment. Got it. So meditation is per- like you, I'm sure it's more than this. I don't want to define it to something very singular, but meditation is a way to connect with the present, to sort of enter this, this state of flow and be in the moment. And that way you can better be in the moment in, in life. Right. So instead of when we're having a conversation, I'm, Half my brain is thinking about the work I have to do when the conversation's over, and the other half is thinking about the stupid stuff I did, whatever, this morning, and and then the I'm on my phone, and so now it's it's bringing me into this conversation so that I can I can be fully present with you and not have all of those thoughts swimming in my mind and and focus in on this. Yeah, and what like what you said earlier about you know life is a verb that you have to keep moving is that idea that I'm approaching every moment fully and without I'm let go of the stuff that happened earlier and I'm moving forward with an open mind and an open heart and open eyes mm. trying not to um, already have a prejudge uh, let, and I'm not prejudging what is going to happen you know later on today but that like right now this is where I am so I'm living fully that's a great point so, you, so a lot of a lot of the way that our, our tendency is to bring a lot of judgment into a situation before that situation ever. Yeah, unfolds. if you look at a workout and it's like cash out forty burpees, like immediately you're like, oh, I hate yeah. Burpees. I mean, I am too. It's just like you know, at the end of that workout, you have to do forty burpees, and like you, it, you can go into that spiral of like, oh, this is gonna be the worst. But like, what if you stayed? You know, what if you tried to let go of that and you, you know, when you get, when you get there, you just, one at a time, you just knock out those burpees. Yeah. And it's like, now I'm doing burpees and you can be like, this is terrible in that moment. You can be like, I don't like this. I mean, meditation doesn't mean like everything's great and I'm super peaceful. And like, it's, um, you know, you're still going to get mad. You're still going to be out of breath. They're still going to be burpees and they're right you know um but you know you might just all of a sudden be like i'm in this moment and it's 
I'm not dying. I'm doing burpees. And it's not the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, it's fine. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Because in our mind. I didn't we, say that, but I, I'm, I'm working on well, <laughs> treating it, burpees that way. Of course. I mean, but it's, it's the idea of, of where you are and where you want to be, right? I mean, that's basically the theme of this conversation, right? How do you move your, your life t- more towards where you want to be and less where you don't want to be, right? How do you move your, your life forward and not just get stuck? And, and a large thing, uh, like basically, I mean, not basically, our mission of the gym is to prepare you for life, right? And what, what does that mean? I mean, sure, it's a super vo- uh, vague saying, but it's also very specific, right? We want your life to be better. We want you to live a better, happier life. We want, you, we want to empower you to be a better version of yourself, not only for yourself, probably most importantly for yourself, but for your family, for your kids, for you know everyone that you interact with. If you're a better, more powerful person, then everyone you're involved with is better because of you, right? And then imagine the impact of a hundred members that we empower to be better who go out to the world, who touch 10 people on a daily basis and now those people are better. I mean, that's, that's a huge impact for, for absolutely for positive. And going back to this concept of, you know, the relationship with the burpees or whatever it is, our brains, we always construct the worst case scenario out of everything, right? You look at the workout and it's like, oh man, like immediately you think what the worst case scenario is or when you know, the flight's delayed and, and you're going to be slow in your connection and it's going to be tight. You're never thinking about the, you're never afraid. You never get, get nervous about best case scenario. Oh, best case scenario, the flight lands 30 minutes early. We have enough time to go to Chick-fil-A and then we swing in and, and we're totally on time. No, you're like, oh, I'm going to miss my flight. Then I'm going to miss my connection. Then I'm not going to be able to make it to the rehearsal dinner. And then, then I'm, this is going to happen. And now you're preoccupied in that moment with all the stress of a theoretical, when that energy isn't going to change anything relative to, to your future, where you could be focused on things that are actually going to change your future, right? Like, do you need to be spending that energy looking for a different flight? Do you just need to spend that energy apologizing to your family for missing the rehearsal dinner or, you know, like whatever very it is. very specific example, <laughs> I, I feel like. I don't know. I was trying to think okay. of something that, like, you had like, to be at. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that popped into my head. Um, and so I, I feel like, I mean, one of the reasons why I try to meditate, and obviously, like, we could do more of it. Uh, one of the reasons why I try to meditate is to, is to create that, that mindfulness of what, what is important right now and releasing what's not important right now, you know, like right now, this conversation is the most important thing in the world. And in order to make that the priority of this moment, I, I need to detach from the emails that I haven't gotten to today. And I need to detach from, um, you know, whatever, I'm a little thirsty or, you know, all the, all these things that, that exist in the world, I just need to let go of because right now talking to you, I mean, this is amazing. This is, this is so important. And meditation, in my opinion, my perspective is the practice of being more connected to this, to this conversation, to this moment in all moments. Like one, one thing you told me that, that was really interesting because you mentioned meditation isn't about being happy and and skipping through daisies all day. You said, like part of being mindful and being present is when you're stuck in the rain, 
to kind of realize and appreciate that you're stuck in the rain, you know? And like, and if you're like, I'm really cold or like I'm miserable, it's okay. Like you don't have to be like, oh, but the rain, like it's watering the flowers. Like you can be like, it's really cold and I'm, <laughs> this isn't fun. Like it's, um, that was my umbrella. No, I don't that was know nice. what that was. <laughs> but that, um, but that it doesn't, I mean, I find that like the more I practice, the more I find little moments like that mm. where I'm like, oh, it's super cold, but like that's, you know, maybe it'll snow and I like snow, like that kind of thing. Like I get pushed towards that direction, but at the same time, like it doesn't mean that I get, I don't get like pissed off and I don't, um, For you sure. know, I don't have those moments where like I'm depressed or I'm angry or, you know, all these emotions that we deem negative that we think like aren't going to happen. Like I still, I still ride that emotional roller coaster. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. It's more of just like recognizing when it happens. Yeah, that's a good point. And I feel, I feel like life is about making decisions in the moment for the long term, right? The, if, if you want to be, if you want to be happy, then you're, you're going to skip the donut, which feels good now that's going to give you a headache in an hour. That's going to throw you off your, your goals. Maybe you're not going to work out cause you feel tired and then, and then you're, you know, you're overweight and then, you know, all of these decisions happen in the moment for the moment, but no one eats a donut because it fits into their, you know, two week plan or whatever. Everybody wants to think that they're going to go for that salad or, you know, eat the, eat the grilled chicken and not the fried chicken or whatever, whatever the moment in the decision or the decision in the moment is the more able you are to make decisions in the moment for where you want to be in a year, five years, 10 years, and not where you want to be in 32 seconds, the better, the, the more you're able to control the direction of your life. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, um, I was, I was fortunate enough about a year and a half ago, uh, the Naval Academy, coach invited George Mumford. I think that's his name, George Mm -hmm. Mumford, who's the mindfulness coach of the Jordan era bulls and Phil Jackson. And he brought in, you know, this mindfulness coach to teach meditation and mindfulness to, to these teams. And, And they hang their hat on this as being one of the reasons why they were able to be so great. And he defined meditation in a way that I thought was really powerful. And what he said is, Life is a series of actions and reactions. And all meditation does is increase the time between action and reaction so that you can sh- better, better choose the direction, right? If you had 30 minutes to really contemplate whether or not you're going to eat that donut and really think about it and weigh the pros and cons and, you know, like give a presentation on whether or not you're going to eat the donut, you would make the right decision because you have all the time in the world. But the problem is we're walking by our office, you know, mate's cubicle and there's a box of donuts there and we just pick it up, toss it in, no thought. And then afterwards when we get the headache, when we're like, oh, I don't think I'm going to work out. I shouldn't have had that donut. Now you start to think. And so the more present you are in the moment, the more you can have that, that reaction time to a, a specific action or like a traffic jam. You're driving up and you see traffic and now you realize you're going to be late and you start banging on the wheel and getting really mad. Well, the more present you are, the more time you have to decide if that's really the example you want to set for your kids in the back seat, or, you know, if that's the type of person you want to be and, and it's increasing time from action to reaction. I think that's a really, it's, it's a, it's an interesting model, if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's like, we cannot control what happens in the world around us. Like, 
And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's like, that's really scary to people. And like, I get that. And sometimes people want to like, not acknowledge that, but that the, um, that actually the happier we'll be once we realize that, but we can control how we act and react. Like that's what you can control. I can't control what's going to happen later. Like I can't control the weather. I can't control, you know, other people, um, you know, which is a big one. Yeah. You know, I, I cannot control how you react, but I can control how I react to you. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and so that's my goal is to just like be, you know, be mindful of what I'm doing and, uh, and, and work there. Yeah. And I like the idea you hear this a lot, a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice, a yoga practice. And honestly, we should probably start calling it a CrossFit practice <laughs> because the, the concept of I think practice people might revolt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll try it out. Give us feedback. But I mean, the concept of a practice is that this, this is, you're engaging in something that has no end, Right. You're engaging in something to constantly get better, right? I practice, I go to swim practice because I want to get better. I'm not trying to accomplish a skill. Like I go to class to learn a, to learn a skill. Like I want to learn calculus. Oh, well, let me take a calculus class. Now I know calculus, <laughs> right? But a practice is something that, that never ends because we're always striving to be better, knowing that, that best isn't ever going to happen. Right. Knowing that better is always always there's always a tomorrow to be even better than we were today. And that if we fall, if we if we relapse into negative self-talk or into whatever, whatever pattern we're trying to improve. Well, good. Tomorrow's an opportunity to be better than that. Tomorrow's another opportunity to practice it being better and better and better. And I think I think that mindset of it being a practice and not an objective, not a class, not a not something that has an end is important because it releases a lot of the judgment that one might put on the concept of meditating. Like, Oh wow, I thought too much today. Well, I failed. No, just by the fact that you noticed you thought too much, you won big time. Yeah. It's more of, did you show up or not? Did you put your butt on that seat and meditate? And then everything else is whatever it is. It's, It's yeah. Similar. Like, did you show up at the gym? Yeah. Yes or no? I mean, that's it. It's not like, how good did you do? You know, like, I mean, there are, you know, then there are some, you know, you can work within that, but there is that, that's the overall question. It's like, did you show up? Yeah. That idea of showing up has been something that I, I think it's so important because in, when, when I was an athlete, it wasn't good enough just to show up. Right. Like when you swim in college, when you swim at a high level in high school, I'm sure when you do any sport, I'm sure dance was very similar. Right. You you showed up. You had to be there. That was that was non-negotiable. I showed up to every morning practice. I like I never I never consciously skipped a practice. I inadvertently slept through one or two, but I was always present. But I I was rarely (laughs) present. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so I think I think there's. You can never win if you're not there, right? If I, if I skip every practice, I can never get better. But if I'm present, at least I have the opportunity to have that miraculous day, right? Just being present is, is the first it's the first battle. Yeah, well, what's that Wayne Gretzky quote is like, you miss 100% of the goals you don't... Shots you don't take. Shots you don't take, yes. <laughs> you miss 100% of the goals you don't make. <laughs> like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I know there have been days where I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I show up to the gym and then like, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll just like put some weight on the bar. It's fine. And all of a sudden I'm like, mm, what's on this bar? Oh, I just PR'd. Like that has happened to me yeah. before where I like honestly was like the whole time I was like, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm not feeling it. I don't know. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's the most weight. Or like, uh, you know, not always a PR, but, you know, a lot of times it's. Uh, once I get into it, then it's like, oh no, I did okay. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, this concept I have, and I give to I give to people when they're starting starting CrossFit or when they're trying to get back into it, and it's just that struggle of of knowing how much work it takes to get back into something, or being afraid of how much work it'll take to start something. Like imagine imagine being brand new to fitness again, and then walking into a gym. It's almost hard when you've been exposed to it for so long to put yourself in that mindset, but just. The over like you're you're. I remember my first day of CrossFit. I was looking in the gym, and there was this woman, Angie, who was was doing kettlebell swings with a 35 pound kettlebell. And I was I was watching her do kettlebell swings, and in like in the back of my head, I was like, I will never be able to do that. Like, holy, how long do I have to train here to be able to do that? And sure enough, like two months later, I'm doing that. But in my head, in that moment, it was a forever thing. It was an impossibility. And I didn't use this tactic then. I just, I just, I just started. Well, maybe I did use this tactic. I wasn't aware of what it, you know, what would it, what it would turn into. But I sort of created this this advice that I've been giving to people, and advice that I certainly use myself. And it's this concept of just showing up, but giving yourself permission not to try, because often, you know, we create the worst case scenario of everything. And, and often just the fear of the workout fear of oh, 40 burpee cash out. I don't want to do 40 burpees. I'm just going to take the day off. I need a rest day. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be working out today anyway. I didn't get good sleep. And, you know, you start creating all these excuses and validating why you shouldn't do something. But in reality, if you just showed up, if you were just there, you'd probably do a lot better than you think you would right? You might even end up with a PR. Like that might be the day where you connect with the squat snatch and you're like, oh wow. Or you get the coaching cue that just transforms your, your perspective on things. But if you, if you let yourself be talked out of showing up, then, then there's no chance of that. And so I've been, I've been telling myself and giving myself permission to show up and not try for a long time. And it, it just reduces the barriers of entry to the gym, right? Oh, I can I can show up. I'll do I'll do less than women's RX. I'll just breeze through the workout, like uh, recovery day. And then of course I show up. I see Sean Chua's score on the board. You're coaching and you're giving me that eye of like <laughs> you should probably do better than what you want to do. And then and then lo and behold, I have a great workout. I'm covered in sweat. I did it RX. I feel really good about it, and I'm really happy I did it. But the only way I got there was by giving myself permission an hour and a half ago to show up and not try. And if I ended up not trying, then cool, I met expectations. Yeah, there's a, um, a BKS Iyengar who is a big name in the yoga world, and he's his practice and all is coming. Like, I'm pretty sure it's Iyengar quote. It might be somebody else. Uh, Tommy Joyce, actually, I think. Yeah. But that idea that, like, no, you just you practice. Practice and all is coming. And that, that practice idea of and all is practice coming? and all is coming. So that you, that's what you do. You show up on your mat and you do the practice, like... Yeah. And then whatever, whatever lessons of that day, which are going to present themselves, like that's what's coming or just the, the, the challenges are coming or 
anything. Just like fun. that's what you have. Is you have yeah. your you have your practice. Like no matter what, you just do it. Yeah. You know, it's that um, that idea of of not being like, do I feel like it or how do I feel today? No, you just do it. Like right. you know, and and you know, you might get to your mat and be like, oh, I can't. Like, this feels terrible, but then you do something else, but you've done something. Yeah. And one of my teachers also says, um, this is a Darren Rhodes-ism, um, and he's full of these kind of st- kinds of statements, but it's uh, shapeshift to state shift. Because, um, and there's, I mean, it's the endorphins, it's the science of exercise. It's like, yeah. if you feel terrible, and then you just sort of like, well, I'm going to sit like this on my couch, and I still feel terrible. Like, there's something to be said for standing up and stretching and moving around, and maybe yeah. you're like, I'm going to do a little bit less today, but like, you know, just uh, doing those 40 burpees actually made me feel better because I moved my blood around yeah. a little bit more. What was that saying? Shape shift to... State shift. State shift. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it's like it's the really idea... It's for me to say. Yeah. Well, it's like that idea that if you smile, it's hard to be sad while you're smiling, right? So if you're sad, just start smiling and eventually you're going to be happy. Yeah. And I, I just posted something about Sean Formations and this idea that just lie to yourself about something overly positive and eventually that overly positive sentiment that you want to be true will become true. Like, I love pain. I love burpees. I love working out. Yeah, it's a lie today, but say that every day for the rest of your life and eventually it'll be more true than it is today. And one thing that you said, this concept of just doing it, just having the discipline to do things. Um, I lent you the book, but uh, Jocko Willink wrote this book called Discipline Equals Freedom. And it's a book lately that I've been connecting with so, like, so well. It's been, you know, I spent eight years in the Navy revolting against discipline and thinking discipline was the stupidest thing in the world and who wants discipline? And then I get out of the Navy and then a few years later, I'm like, man, discipline's really important. We should probably take discipline pretty seriously. But his thing is, his, his whole thing is when the alarm clock goes off, get up. Like, hey, Jocko, how do I stop eating donuts? Don't eat donuts. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's very black and white. It's very simple. But it's just this idea that, that discipline is a positive thing, right? Like I, going back, to, going back to this concept of, you know, pain being a positive, I've started to view doing things with discipline, like robbing myself of, of joy, because what's, what's being, what's not being disciplined, not being disciplined is giving in to the immediate gratification of the moment and foregoing long-term plans, right? I would rather go to this happy hour and have some beers than skip the happy hour and go to the gym and train and work really hard and then achieve my goal of getting a, whatever, handstand pushup or whatever my goal is. So not being disciplined is giving into the moment. And being disciplined is constantly thinking of the long-term objective, I think. Maybe in a simplified way of describing it, but it says when the alarm goes off, get up. It's not a choice. The alarm went off. You get up. That's what you do. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Oh, and I'm working my way through it, and yeah. I was reminded of, uh, of a book um, that, uh, that is that I've read called The Yoga of Discipline. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> um, and I don't remember who the author is, but if you Google it, you can find it. But yeah. it's, yeah, kind of that same thing where it's, yeah, you just... You show up on your mat every day. Like, that's, you know, that's what you do. And it, it also goes back to what you were talking about, about mindfulness being uh, actions and reactions and that, you know, then you can be focused on your future self. So it's that same thing. It's like, get up. Go, you know, do show up, do the thing, and you're in that moment, so you're 
um, you know, you're there, it's set up for you. You don't have to make the decision. Am I going to do it? You just do it. Right. Because it's there. Like that's, that's what you do every day. You get up, you go to the gym. Right. You know, or whenever, you know, or like work is over, you go to the gym. Like that's, uh, you know, rather than like, I don't know, do I feel like it today? It's you've, you've already made that decision and yeah, you don't have a choice. Yeah. It's, it's not even, it's not even something that you have a say in. It's like, oh yeah, my alarm went off. I get up. That's what I do. It's like in the Navy, if I, I don't know, like you, you have to go to watch, like that's your job. You can't not go to watch. Like I can't even, I can't even imagine what would happen if you didn't like get out of your bed and then go and do your job. Right. Like it's unfathomable, but as adults, we've, we have a lot more flexibility in our lives. And so there's less that ha- there's less has to be's and there's more I need to be, or I want to be. And the more we create those, those need to be's and to have to be's, then I think we're going to be better served in the long term for it. And like, I think the snooze button is, is a terrible thing. I've, I've, I've gone from being one of those like 45 minute snoozers to, I set two alarms and that's it. And then I get up. Um, and I'm trying to be better and just getting up after one, but man, like I was a chronic snoozer. So this is a big win for me, <laughs> but uh, this, this idea of just, just doing it. And one thing Jocko says that I, it, his, his whole approach has just transformed the whole way that I look at everything. So instead of, instead of waking up and being like, oh wow, I feel, I feel like garbage. I'm super sore. Ah, I shouldn't work out. I'm like, I, I do need a rest day. Jocko says, that's fine. You can have a rest day, but it can't be today take your rest day tomorrow. If you wake up today and you feel like you can't train, train because that's discipline. Train. Don't give in, but make a conscious decision that tomorrow you'll rest. And it's, it's a small thing, right? Like, yeah, okay. Maybe you're overtraining. Maybe that technically that's not the right answer, but it's a small thing. Once you have decided to do something, you can't change your mind, right? I decided to wake up and work out, but I woke up and then I let myself break down then, then you're, you're creating that concept that you're going to let your mind win. That if you, if I can talk myself out of this in the moment with legitimate reasons, then I can certainly talk myself out of things with illegitimate reasons all the way down the future. Yeah. You know? And, but then tomorrow, tomorrow comes, it's like, all right, I'm planning a rest day, whatever. What if I wake up and I feel great Well, I'm training? You know, I don't have to take that rest day. And I, that approach is, is, has been really powerful to me. And it's, you know, discipline. It's, it's, it's one of my new favorite words at the moment. <laughs> and it's, it's just like everything. It's, I'm not sitting here preaching like I'm the most disciplined human in the world, right? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. But I'm more disciplined today than I was yesterday. And then I do things to become more disciplined tomorrow than I am today. And hopefully over time, I can be, I can be more like Jocko. <laughs> you know? Well, and the, um, there's a Shambhala, the way of the warrior, um, says that discipline equals freedom. Because so, like, once it's that's your routine, like, I get up, I go to, I go and work out. And then, you know, then you can have a little bit. Once yeah. it's, like, in your routine and it's there and it's not a question, then you can have a little f- bit of freedom within there. Um, like, okay, maybe tomorrow is going to be a rest day. But it's not because I feel terrible. It's because I programmed my rest yeah. day and kind of thing. So then there's, there could be a little bit of play in yeah. there. And this concept of, of, you know, discipline equal freedom. Um, I sort of have a different, like I definitely agree with it, but a, a different way of thinking about it that I've been thinking about recently is if, 
if if you live if you live your normal life, if you live your day to day without much discipline, then every day is a every day is a really good day. You, like you know what I'm saying? Like if if I don't have discipline and I get a sleep in, cool, that's awesome. That was that was great. I love sleeping in. Sleeping in feels good. And then I don't want to work out today. Like that's that's awesome. Like today's a rest day. That feels great. I'm gonna order pizza. I really like pizza. Pizza's delicious. It's gonna be incredible. I'm gonna have pizza. And then ah, oh, it's 12:30. I don't have to work tonight. Maybe I'll go to the go to the corner store, pick up a six pack, invite some people over, and like, hey, we're gonna have some beers. We're gonna have a little party tonight. It's gonna be awesome. And then that party goes to like one or two in the morning. That was a that was a really awesome day. Like that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun today. But if I do that tomorrow, and then I do that the day after, then I do that the day after, and the day after, and the day after, if I live my life without discipline, eventually it spirals into me just being a fat slob who drinks all the time, who sits in my apartment and never leaves and never does anything because I don't have any discipline. If every day is a rest day, there's no day that's on, right? And then you you sort of spiral down. And but like if you do that for too long, those days become less enjoyable. Right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. I'm like, oh, in that scenario, like, I feel terrible after two days. Yeah, like, of course. And I'm like, oh, I feel And then nervous. imagine you do that for a month, and then you go on vacation. And now you have to do that even more. Because now you, like, you're on vacation. Now now that open bar is calling you. Now instead of drinking at, you know, whatever, two, now, now you got to start at 10. Mimosas and Bloody Marys. Oh, this is going to be great. But then you feel like garbage all the time. And it's, it's, like, the highs aren't as high and, and you know, like you're in a low because you're all, you're constantly giving in. So if that's the, if that's the end state of no discipline, well, like what's, what's the state of discipline? The state of discipline might be, you know, when I was swimming, it would be nine months of training. And like, I, I wasn't conscious of the idea of nutrition being an important thing, which blows my mind to this day. But anyway, but it would be the discipline of waking up and training and two times a day and weights and all this, all this stuff. When that was over, the first day you get to sleep in and three months, six months, whatever it is, the first week that you have without training, that's amazing. It feels so good, right? And like a more, a more realistic scenario is if, if you have the discipline to wake up every day, Monday through Friday, and you're, you're in it, you're in the gym all the time and you're training, and you give yourself permission to sleep in on a Saturday, you're going to enjoy that. That's going to be so much better than sleeping in Monday through Friday if you, you know, and then you sleep in on Saturday. It's just another thing. And so in my mind, this concept of discipline equals freedom is this idea that you're going to, you're intentionally enjoying the concept of, of suffrage, like suffering now, so that when you have those moments in life that are to be enjoyed, they're amplified. Yeah, it's like a cheat meal. It's like, you know, if once a week I get pizza or I get a hamburger, like, uh, you know, that's, you're going to enjoy the hell out of that. Yeah. And like, just be in that, you'll be in the moment. Right. And you'll really enjoy that, you know. And it's not like, oh, then the rest of the week I have to eat like plain chicken, like, you know. Um, I do actually enjoy eating vegetables because <laughs> I'm a weirdo, but, um, but that, but that, you know, I, like I do on Friday nights, like I, you know, my husband and I will often go out and I'm like, I'm going to have a beer and I'm going to have French fries and I'm going to love the hell out of and it. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be great. But yeah, like if I ate French fries, well, French fries, I could probably eat every day and still love them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's my bad. That's my terrible I'm food. I'm tortilla but, chips. Um, yeah. 
but like, you know, yeah, like I, and I look forward to it a little bit sometimes when I'm just like, oh man, but Friday I'm going to have, you know, French fries. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And because you had the discipline in the week leading up to that Friday, those French fries felt really good. But if you didn't have the discipline all the days leading up to it, then that would just be another day. Yeah, if every day I was like, oh, but I deserve this garbage <laughs> food. Then, like, yeah, then every day I'm eating garbage food and it's right. not as exciting. And so so I started with that concept of, oh, I'm going to suffer through these days so that the, that the, the vacation days are going to be happier, be better, right? The days when I, you know, whatever take a day off or give myself the day off or go on a trip. Those days are going to be better. And so I used to see the days of discipline as suffering so that I could enjoy this moment in the future better. But then sort of like this relationship with pain, right? Then it was like, no, no, wait a minute. That's, that's totally wrong. I should be enjoying the, like, these aren't days of suffering. These are days of, of good discipline. Like these are days that that serve me. These are days. These are the days that I actually feel really good. These are the days that I have all the energy. These are the days that I I'm super productive. These are the best days I have. And when I go on vacation and I drink too much and I eat like garbage, I'm taking naps. I'm so tired. I get like I just feel crappy. I have headaches. Those days suck. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, like uh, there are definitely like some Saturdays where I'm like. Man, I have like a weird food hangover, and I'm like, oh yeah, because like I normally eat vegetables and drink water, and then you know when I have two beers and a lot of salt, then the next day I'm like, oh, I can't go to you know like I'll go and try and lift, and I'll be like, I live suck today. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, because I had my garbage experience last night, and then like then I'm more vo- motivated to go back and be like, no, no, you know, right? Um, it's time to get back get back to work and you know, then you enjoy, and you enjoy a little bit of that sweat and that breathing hard and, you know, look forward to it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's been the, that's been the biggest evolution I think I've had in my life is this concept of, of recognizing that, that bad things in your life are opportunities or good things or, you know, bad things. Maybe that's not the right way to put it, but bad things being like, like a workout is, that it hurts. That's that's a bad thing or whatever. But really, it's it's an opportunity for me to challenge myself to become better, right? Or I want to go on a twenty four hour fast. Like being hungry is it's a bad thing. But no, it's just an opportunity to show myself that you know I don't need to eat those chips that are right there in the cupboard. Like I have the discipline, I have the ability not to eat those things. Which, if I have the ability to not eat those things when I'm really, really hungry, well, it's going to be super easy when I have the option of eating uh, a salad with some chicken on it or eating a bag of chips. Like, that decision becomes super easy because, well, when I was really, really hungry, I didn't go for those chips. So now I can make that better decision in the moment. I think that's, that's, that to me is probably one of the biggest mental shifts that... I can partially attribute to, to meditation and, and being more mindful. You know, it's, it's hard to say. Meditation is one of those things that's, 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 I don't think you're ever going to be able to point the finger and be like, whoa, that, that one meditation session changed my life. But it's starting a meditation practice and then you look back and you're like, whoa, when did I become more mindful? When did I become 
Yeah. I mean, and it goes back to the saying, like, it's a practice because it's, um, it's like you don't go walk in the gym and then go, look, I back squatted my, after like never having worked out your entire life. And then right. you're like, look, I back squatted my, double my body weight today. Like, yeah. that's not the first thing you're going to do. And so, um, so in that same way, it's a, it's a practice. It's like, right. you have to show up, you have to do it, you have to do the work. So it's not like... I'm going to dabble in it. I mean, you can, and absolutely, like, it's better than nothing. Same thing with fitness. Like, it's you know, it's better to do something than nothing. Right. But, like, the more you can, you know, the more you can work at it, the the better it's going to be. Not, the, like, the better you're going to be at it, but, like, the, the more it can work for you. Right. So that it's about showing up and being there every day. And that you might have, like, one really good session. That day you hit a P- PR, like, you might have a great meditation where you like you feel so peaceful or like you know at the like at, you sit for 15 minutes and you're like I never thought the whole time and like <laughs> you know you're just like concentrate on your breath and it was amazing and you're like you had a breakthrough and then you're gonna chase that dragon yeah you know, same day like you might hit a PR and you're like that's great and the next you know the next week you might be like how did I lift that last week that was insane right and then and same thing with meditation you're gonna chase that dragon yeah. a little bit it's like I was, I've, I've played around with golf for a few years now, and it's that one time you hit the perfect shot, like, all you need to do is hit one good shot, and you're hooked at and golfing. Like, and I'm done. And you're Peace. like, this, I want to I wanna do that again. And I, I heard, I heard a, a professional golfer talk in an interview or a podcast or something, and the interviewee was like, do you, do you ever get tired of hitting great shots? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. No, it, it always feels good. It always always feels good. It's amazing. And I think that's like, that's what makes meditation so hard in my opinion, right? When you're doing, when you're doing CrossFit or strength, there's, there's tangible, concrete, indisputable feedback that you're making progress. When I started, I could squat 100 pounds. Now I can squat 200 pounds. I have improved my back squat by 100 pounds. Mindfulness is sort of this and this is where it gets a little woo-woo and hippie and, you know, I think it's becoming more mainstream because a lot of that, you know, sort of nonsense, I guess, if you want to say that. But maybe it's not nonsense. A lot of that, a lot of that stuff has been stripped from it and, and people are starting to teach it. I think like you teach it in ways that are much more approachable where I don't need to come in with, with the perspective of a yoga background or a Buddhist background. But you can just talk to me about breathe. Notice what are you thinking in ways that that don't have all of this other stuff attached to it, and I'm starting to get connect to, connected to it, and I think that makes it it makes it easier to practice. But still, it's the idea that there's there's a before and after. Certainly, there's a before and after. How you felt before, how you feel after, how you um, you know the decisions you made before and the decisions you made after, what you noticed before and what you noticed after. But it's not quite as tangible as I increased my back squat by 100 pounds, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are lots of things and studies being done now. Like, there's definitely those neurological benefits. And you can, you know, you read those studies and read the books and, like, it's there. But you're right. It's that measurable aspect of CrossFit that they have of, like, um, yeah, I've put, uh, there's a tangible number. And, you know, it comes a big goal setting where we say, like, put a number, make it a thing, yeah. like, make it a make it a solid thing. Um there is a little bit of, of faith that you have to have in it and that it's a little bit of, uh, oh, I noticed 
today, like, I waited a moment, and I didn't yell at my spouse. <laughs> like, I yes. really wanted to. Um, but it's it's less measurable, for sure. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, like, maybe you're a little more mindful, so you notice those, like, moments where you're like, oh, hey, I noticed, you know, I noticed that thing because I'm paying attention a little bit more. Yeah. And I, for me, it's been, because I've, I've, I go in spurts. I go in, like... There's a month, there's two months where I'm just meditating all the time. And it's like every day I'm doing it. And then I fall out of practice. I lose discipline on that, on that. And then it's just, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I should meditate again. And then I I pick it back up. And for me, it's always like, I don't notice changes in the way that I behave because I don't attribute those changes to meditation all the time because, oh, well, I'm just more mature. Oh, because now I, now I listen to this podcast and this podcast is the reason why I changed. But it's because of the meditation that you're open. Like one thing that you said that, that blew my mind. I don't think you you invented this saying, but uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. No, I certainly <laughs> did not invent that. Anybody who's listening to this is like, no, Katie no. didn't invent that. But anyway, <laughs> Katie introduced me to that saying. Who Do you know where it comes from? Uh, I don't know. It's probably some Buddhist thing. Yeah, pro- I, I think so. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And you were saying that after we were talking about, you know, you give the same cues over and over again to a lot of different people. And then that moment, that aha moment, right? When the, when the student, when, when you're ready as a student to hear the, that, that tip, when you're, when you're at that point, then what I've been saying this whole time, you're going to connect with, right? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think that that's sort of like, like, the, the meditation approach in a way, it's, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. Anyway, it's meditations. Meditation's tricky. It's hard to attribute. It's hard to attribute meditation to the victories that you have in your life. And so that's why I think it's almost, it's almost indisputable that it's positive. And that's why I think it's important to create a, a practice and just do it as part of your daily routine because doing it is going to improve a lot of aspects of your life and make you more present and make you enjoy the moments and make you understand that the pain isn't as bad as you think it is and make you understand that the happiness is much better than you think it is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put perspective on your lows and increase your highs. At least that's my relationship with it. And so I think it's just something that, that people should just put into their daily routines and practice every single day and then maybe keep a journal, maybe keep some notes and just notice how you feel today and how you feel a year from now. And if the only thing you added was meditation, well, that's a big win, but probably meditation is going to allow you to add workouts, allow you to add more family time, allow you to spend less time on Instagram, looking at other people's amazing lives and enjoy the amazing life that you have, that sort of thing. Yeah. And like this, you know, people come up against this idea of like, well, it's time. Like, yes, it's asking you to put something else in your day. But you just said like less time on Instagram. Yeah. Like notice how much do you go on Facebook and Instagram and like, um, this idea of like more is better maybe, but not if you can't do it. Yeah. So yeah, meditate for 30 minutes every day. But if you're, if that's going to make you like not do it or like bring up excuses like I don't have 30 minutes to give five minutes seven minutes 15 you know like some small chunk that you probably have in your day that you are watching Netflix or looking at Instagram and I'm it's not that those things are bad but it's just like noticing 
Like, you probably have five minutes somewhere in your day that you can give up and just take a moment and breathe. Um, right. Set the timer. Do not disturb. And your timer. And they're um, on the uh, on your iPhone. I know not everybody has an iPhone, but uh, an Android one. might have this <laughs> too. But that there is... Um, well, there's free apps like there's you know the meditation app that I have a couple of them, but because I'm like that, uh, but that on this the the timer app like that comes with your iPhone, there is a gong that at the end of the, oh, um, cool. of that. Yeah. So you know it's not just like beep, beep. Ah, <laughs> your meditation is over. <laughs> like there's a gong or like what you know maybe it's the birds chirping or right. the crickets. Like you can kind of come out. Yeah, you can. You can. There's something in there, and I'm guessing Android probably has this too, or Google Phone or whatever. But like that, it has um, some. So one of its ringtones is something that's a little more gentle. That right. you know, so you can turn that on. So it doesn't have to be like I don't have to get a fancy app. Um, or, you know, a bell, you know, my own chime or whatever. Like, just set a timer. Um, make it something that's gentle at the end yeah. and do five minutes. So what are you doing to get a little more tactical than theoretical? What are you doing in those five minutes? Like, what's if, if you were to tell, like, I'd, I'd imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast have very limited to no exposure with meditation. So I get, I get five minutes on my clock. I like, no one's around me. It's quiet. What do I do? How do I meditate? Um, <laughs> seated. Okay. Like um, in a chair, on the ground, you on can, a pillow. Either way, make it, um, make it something that's, um, like, if you go in a chair, totally fine, but you want to sit up tall. You don't want to sit back, uh, yeah. uh, you know, against the back of the chair. So you want your, you know, pelvis to be vertical, so you're on the bottom of the pelvis. Feet on the ground, so legs uncrossed. Okay. Uh, hands in your lap. Um, you can sit cross-legged. Um, I recommend, probably most people need to sit on a pillow because, like, you're probably going to be rounded in right. your back. Um you know, so if, you elevate your hips maybe four or five inches above your legs, and that just makes the posture. Yeah, and like a fold-up blanket or a pillow. I like to sit. I sit on my heels actually. Um, okay. Well, under, but I like two yoga blocks. Got it. So I'm high, but I'm um, I'm full. My legs are folded in half. So That's two yoga blocks under the legs, and then your your legs are folded under. Two yoga blocks under my pelvis. So oh, I'm sitting it. on those, yep. but my feet are yep. folded in uh, tops of the feet to the floor. So you're um, sitting. So you're sitting. You you start the timer. You're. It's quiet. Obviously, lights on, lights off. Does that matter? Um, I would say probably dim. You know, um, you don't want it to be like super bright, right. but um, but at the same time, it's not sleepy time. So right. d- you know, if it's like super dark, don't turn the lights all the way yeah. off because your body might be like, it's time to nap. Right. Eyes open or eyes closed. I am an eyes closed meditator. Okay. A lot of, um, or not a lot, but I know there are some schools of thought that say you should do eyes open because right. it makes you more alert. I find that so distracting. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, I'm like, if anything moves in my, in my vision, I'm like, what's going Scroll. on? Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely like, even if my cat walks in, I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I gotta. So eyes, eyes open might be an advanced technique once you've sort of. You know, if, if you're looking for more distraction challenges to overcome. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so eyes eyes closed, uh, seated position, pelvis straight, good posture. Um, any other setup things before you click start? Um, I mean, hands 
in the in the lap or on the legs. What you want is elbows in like to hang down from the shoulders. But like again, if that makes you go like, okay, this is weird, and I have to hold this. Right. Like you know, you want it to be something easy. So you want to be relaxed but in good posture. Um, it should be active posture. Right. So yes. it should be something where like, um, cause oftentimes what will happen is, you know, I'm, I start thinking about something and then the next thing you know, I come right. back to my breath and I notice that I've yeah. lost it and right. I'm like, Oh, there we go. But you don't need to be peak Cobra posture, like bulletproof posture. As long as your posture is good, then you try to create relaxation within that, within that posturing. I mean, obviously it's an active position, but you're not like, you shouldn't be sweating yeah. Or should you? Well, no, if you, you shouldn't be sweating. If, you're, if you are, maybe you need to adjust. Maybe you need to work on right. your mobilization a little bit. Like, if you can't sit for five minutes yeah. without, like, crushing your spine, like, let's, let's talk mobilizing. That's yeah. the next podcast. <laughs> so then you, you press start on your timer. You close your eyes. What do you do? Do you just wait? If I, do you just like wait for that alarm, like peak every now and again? Is it oh time man, yet? I have definitely <laughs> had that moment of those meditations where I'm like, "What? I must have missed it. I must have missed the bell because yeah. I've been here for 25 minutes." Yeah. And then like, ding, and I'm like, "Oh man, that was the longest five minutes of my life." But um, I check in, um, intellectual self, spiritual self. Um, physical self, emotional self, like just see where I am uh, in that moment. Um, What's the process of checking in? What is that? Like, what's the tangible? Because I'm, you know, if if I'm just getting started. Yeah, I would say you could just ask, say, how am I feeling today? Mm. Or like notice the state of your brain. Like, Mm. um, and... Um, a really great way to start is to count your breath. I like that as a as a way to focus the brain, and it gives you a little bit of something to do, right. especially if you're super new to it and yeah. you just like, are like freaking out a little bit. Um, you know, to count your breaths, get to ten, start over. Um, if you yeah. lose count, start go over. start over. You so know? it would be like. One, and then just do that until I get to ten. Yeah. Yeah. W- but breathe in and out through your nose. Yeah. One, and then all the way up to ten. Yeah. When when I, I've done some guided meditations with you, and this the concept of starting over when you get to ten made me so mad. Why? When, when I was starting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I was like, I did all that work. I got to ten. And now I'm just back to one. I'm at the same place that I would be at if I failed. And I was like, wait a minute. That's that's kind of the point, right? That's interesting. (laughs) I've never heard that before, but I love it. Yeah, because I, you know, like, it's so much focus and so much, you know, and and like, one, got it. Yep. All right. Two. And then you fail once or twice. You're like, is that six or seven? All right. One, two. And then you get to ten. And then your reward for getting to 10, your reward for winning meditation is to start over at one and it feels defeating, but then it makes you realize that you're there to practice and that just because you got to 10 doesn't mean you did it right. Doesn't mean you you can't do it better. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't like the concept (laughs) of better, but, um, but I, I think this tracks into a little bit of that concept of like, I mean, it is what it is. So like whether or not you get to 10, great. Right. 
And that's, like, <laughs> and I guess that's what I meant by like better or whatever. It's like the, the objective isn't 10, right? You know, 10 is, 10 is a number that you made up to give my mind focus, but it, it could have been like counting sheep. It could have been, it, it could have been anything. 10, 10's, 10's an imaginary number. Yeah. 10's just right? a thing. Like but, it's... but then you, you assigned me a challenge and then I put all this, all this stuff on mm. that number 10 and then I got to 10 and then you just took it from me. And so like the Buddhist <laughs> teaching there would be like, oh, well then you like need to do a little more work on like letting go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and, and that's, that's sort of like my, my mindset is always to win a challenge. You know, if we're playing Monopoly, I'm not playing to have fun. I'm playing to win. If we're, if we're doing something the, the objective is never fun for me. I mean, sure, it's fun, but maybe this is this is a bit extreme. Like I've I've obviously improved this a little. Well, bit. Well, I mean, I've played games with <laughs> I've played games with that before. Yeah, and it's not fun. Right, and <laughs> I, I want to play win. games with people like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, it's 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 not it's not necessarily it's a double edged sword because I do like the fact that that the the fear of failure is something like I want to win I want to put forth my best effort and I want to rise to the challenge of 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 competing and winning and and being vulnerable to being defeated and and understanding that I don't want defeat but if defeat happens I can learn from that defeat right all of this is in the perspective of things but if like I want to win and so when you when you as as meditation I like. M- when I first got introduced to the concept of meditation, it was the concept of winning. You know, like I, I have to win this five minutes. I have to get to 10. I'm going to get, how many times did you get to 10? I got to 10 seven times, <laughs> you know? And then, but like the Shots concept. Panting. One, two, three, four, ten, five, one. <laughs> Talking shit to other people. Like, where are you Pass at? <laughs> where are you at? <laughs> but, uh, but part of, part of the practice of meditation is, is recognizing that about yourself. And then, than letting go of it, you know? And being like, that's great. That like, that's an asset. Like, absolutely. But like, can I let go of that at some moments? Like maybe in the seated practice, but like, absolutely. Like that's a great thing to have when you're playing a game or, you know, you're trying to win, you know, the, the trophy for your team. Um, that's great. Every, then everybody's going to be like, I want to be, um, ooh, uh, <laughs> you know, on your team. Like, that's awesome. But it's just, it's, I mean, it goes back to that, like, action-reaction of, like, um, uh, like, knowing when it's, when it's appropriate and when it's not. Right. Yeah. Which, which is great. Yeah. Which is, you know, why, why we meditate, which is why we do the practice. Sure. And it's noticing those things and making yourself, um, or noticing them and improving, you know, the trajectory of where you want to be. So you, you, a good way to start, breathe to 10, start over, breathe to 10. And then if you lose focus, if you lose track of where you're at, then you just go back and start at one. And you just do that until the, the gong goes off or the birds chirp or you, you couldn't figure that out. And it just goes beep, beep, beep. And then you come out, you're done, turn on Netflix and start chilling again or... <laughs> I mean, it's nice to be able to, you know, pad it a little bit on uh, on the end just to have a moment of, uh, like, can you, you know, step back, take a moment. But, yeah, you know, you could step in, you know, then into your day. A lot of people step off that cushion and then, you know, go on with their lives. 
and uh, you know you're gonna eventually have to leave or get go into traffic or do whatever. Right. But it's a little also a little bit of like, can you stretch that out? Like, can you take that feeling and how, like how far can you get? Like if you if you stand up, you're like, great, that was awesome, I feel good. Okay, it's time for me to go walk to the gym to go coach. Like, am I halfway to the gym? A car cuts me off, and I'm like, fuck it. You know, like, oh, wait, oops, I just lost all of that. Yeah. And I've definitely had those moments where I'm like, I felt so peaceful. And then, like, 10 minutes later, I'm yelling at someone. I'm like, mm, that didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to hold on to that right. as long as I had hoped. Yeah. Um, and I use, I use the breathing tactic as, not as much as I should, but as a, as a way to make better decisions when, I feel myself getting ready to make a bad decision, right? Like somebody makes me upset. That, that doesn't make me upset. You know, like one breath, recenter, refocus on the priorities of who you want to be, get present through that breath, and you're going to make a better decision than if you just let that emotion go. And this is something that we didn't really touch on about meditation, but I think is so, so, so important and when, when I was introduced to this idea, it, it changed a lot for me. So your, your thoughts, at least, you know, I don't know if this is definitive, but this, this approach to meditation or this approach to kind of how your thoughts get created really spoke to me. Your thoughts are a secondary, they're, they're a cause, they, they are a reaction to how your body feels. So your body is out there sensing the world. Most of it's subconscious, right? You're, you're, you're picking in picking up all of this data, your eyes see the world, you send signals to your brain and all of these, all of these signals go into your brain and then thoughts come out of them, right? You feel afraid. You have the thoughts of being fearful because you saw something, because you feel something, because, you know, all of these data points go in and now they go into your brain and your brain creates a thought because of the way your body feels. And so, if thoughts are a reaction to how your body feels, learning to connect to how your body feels can be a precursor to intervening to your thoughts. So here's an example. Um, one of one of the things that happens when I get really when I get mad, right? When I feel that somebody's disrespecting me, or when I feel that I've been slighted in a way, I feel my throat start to constrict, and if feel my chest sort of come up like this and then I get mad and I do things that I regret. I yell, I'm mean, I'm a jerk, I storm out, I slam the door, I do things that I'm, I'm not proud of. And then when that tension goes away, I return to rational thought. And you could, you could start to think about it and be like, well, the constriction reduced oxygen flow, which did this, which created this fight or flight sensation. But what I see it as is like these early warning flags that are going up. When I'm having a conversation with somebody and I feel disrespected or I feel insulted or I feel slighted, my throat starts to tighten, my chest comes up, and if I just breathe and relax that tension, I still feel the slight, but I don't feel the anger that comes with it. And so it's a way for me to get ahead of negative emotions and deal with situations rationally. Be like, I'm not sure if you realize this, but what you said I interpret as, you know, pretty disrespectful. I'd like to talk about that as opposed to being like, you, why, hate you, and 
punch. <laughs> yeah, and it's that moment where that you recognize, and even like like you might even feel that anger, but that you take that extra moment and you don't react in you know in your usual way right. to that to that emotion, but that you you know try and like dissipate or, or recognize what it is. It's an emotion. Yeah. Is it the truth? Like you know, and maybe it is. Like maybe somebody has crossed a boundary and you need to be angry at them. I mean, anger is yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. Totally. Um, yeah. But that, you know, then you sort of judge, uh, you react, you know, before you react, you take that moment and you can say like, okay, what's the appropriate response here? Right. Yeah. Being angry isn't a bad thing, but yelling at someone and insulting someone and handling something in a, in a really negative and, and mean way is probably not ideal. Right. Like most people who get in fights and arguments regret the way they communicated in those arguments. And then when when the when the anger settles, when the passion subside, then it's going back to that conversation and and having a more rational, level headed conversation. If you take a moment and breathe into whatever's constricting, breathe in whatever's tight. If you notice that that the throat gets tight and the chest comes up, breathing into that is becoming more present to the moment. And, you know, whether or not you're able to actually prevent the thought from coming into your head, you know, maybe that's a little hippie for lack of a better word, but it's the idea of just being present to the moment of how your body feels and what your, what your body's reacting to. I'm reacting to this concept that right now I don't feel safe or I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling intimidated or I'm, I'm noticing something in my body that's causing me to think thoughts that are, that are different than where I was a few seconds ago. Let me connect with the moment and let me evaluate what the truth is of this moment, right? Am I upset because, you know, like, like what's the root cause, you know? Are you, are you doing something that's attacking me physically? Are you threatening my safety? Are you challenging my authority? Are you just being naive and just sort of saying a joke that I'm taking too seriously and I'm not aware of that? Connecting with my breath, taking a moment realizing a deeper understanding of what the root cause is and then addressing you is almost always a better solution than knee jerk reaction. Now, if you're punching me in my face, probably the wrong answer is to let me breathe into those punches. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, yeah, uh, I think you said like, it's, um, you know, you have that physical reaction and that's very real. I mean, very, um, and it's very honest and, you know, it goes back to like the animalistic nature and then, and our fight or flight. So it's sort of like, I'm fearful. I'm angry. What's happening? Am I in immediate physical danger? Right. Like, do I need to run out of this situation? Yeah. Maybe like if right. you're, you know, if something, if there's a car coming at you, like you're not going to be like, Oh, this will be okay. Like, you know, no move out of the way. Yeah. Like use that, that, uh, uh, when that, adre- that adrenaline flush to run, but like, you know, Oh, maybe it's just because like somebody somebody said something, you know. Okay, right. then I can take a step back. I don't have to, you know. I can let that um, dissipate. And um, you know, that said, even if I approach, like somebody's yelling at me and I want to just yell back because you know that's the, that's what the way I'm feeling because I feel really fearful or I feel angry or both. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, and even if I take a step back, that doesn't mean they're going to either. So it is a little bit of that, like, you know, uh, being in that moment, uh, and then, 
even then, you know, I might be like, hey, I'm going to leave this situation. Yeah. Like, I'm not in immediate physical danger, but like, hey, I'm going to wait till you are a little less right. intense. Because you can't control me, later. but you can control you and you can control the way that you react to me. So if yeah. I'm being, if I'm angry and I'm emotional and I'm aggressive and I'm being rude, you like part of part of being more present is the idea of just recognizing that and knowing that this conversation is not productive and to re-engage in a more productive environment. Yeah, I might be like, hey, you know, Sean's having a bad day. Um, let's talk about this later. You yeah. know, it goes back to that, like, hey, we're all fighting our own battles, remembering that maybe that's my reaction. Like, oh, hey, Sean's having a rough point. Like, I'm going to, you know, yeah. walk away. And we've sort of gone down this path of, you know, using mindfulness and meditation to improve the scenarios in life that are really challenging and, and negative and, and hard. I think the other path, the opposite path of the joys of life. Oh, absolutely. Is if not like as important, maybe even more important, you know, and I've gotten, I've, I've had parts of my life where like really awesome things have happened. And like, I know I was supposed to be happy. I pretended to be happy. If you asked me, Oh, that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But the reality is, it was kind of a meh, you know? And like I remember like graduating college is the perfect example. It's four years of just hard work and, you know, got in a lot of trouble and whatever. And and we threw we threw our covers in the air, the hats like everywhere, and they came back down and I was like, yeah, I'm still the same me. Not really eh, meh. <laughs> you know? But in hindsight, that was that was the culmination of, of an extreme amount of work. That was the last, the sort of the last hurrah with, you know, all of the friend group that we had developed. And, you know, I didn't have the, the full perception and awareness of, of like really what was going to like the, the dramatic change that was about to happen in my life. And, and I didn't really celebrate the accomplishments and enjoy those moments as much as I would have liked. There was, like the end of the office was, uh, Andy, Andy Bernard dropping words of wisdom. He goes, he said something like, I wish, I wish we knew that we were in the, you know, the, the best time of our lives or in the, in the golden era or whatever, like whatever the saying is, I wish, I wish that we knew that, that these moments were going to be so good when we were going through those moments. And I think becoming more present and becoming more aware makes you realize that in the moment. Like, how do you, like, what would Andy, like, what, what would the advice to Andy to make, make seasons one through six, make him enjoy seasons one through six more? Well, meditate, be more mindful, be more present of everything that's great day in and day out, right? Yeah, and I also, like, I like to think, like, every day, but sometimes, you know, like, if, you know, there's a, sometimes it's like, I'm having a really terrible day. But I also think that there's, like, every day is a little bit of a roller coaster, like, I've definitely been walking around and being like, oh, it's a beautiful day. And just like having this moment where I'm like, I feel great. Uh, it's awesome. Like, stop. It's like, ah, oh, spring, whatever. I love spring. So I'm like, yeah, it's oh, like it's warm. It's not hot. It's not cold. And then like later on that day being like, you know, having a bad moment. And, you know, and it's not like it's a great day or a terrible day. Like it's most days are balanced. Like there's good things and bad things. And sometimes like, 
it's like an awesome day. Like these four things happened and they were amazing. And sometimes it's like, oh, these five things happened and they were terrible and it made this day seem awful. Right. But even in the most awful days, there's often at least one moment where it's like not, you know, there's a little bit of an up, an upswing. And to me, like that's that mindfulness of, of recognizing that, that that happened. So it's not just like, oh, this day was like a constant downhill slog that there was right. a little, there, there were a few bumps along that road. And then I remember at the end of the day, like, oh yeah, that would, that one thing was not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it helps cultivate a bit of perspective, certainly a bit of, and maybe perspective is, is the best way to describe it, right? Like this rain. Yeah. It, it kind of sucks. I'm, I'm getting wet. I'm cold. I'm uncomfortable. But I also have the perspective to know that I can handle this, that this isn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. My clothes are going to dry. My my family's safe. Like, I can still breathe. I, I'm living this wonderful life. And you can you have the perspective of all the positives that, that put this thing into, into its place and how much it, it really sucks, you know? Yeah. Like, I had some bad news yesterday afternoon. I was on the phone with somebody and... And I was like, oh, that sucks. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I mean, it's okay. Like, it's fine. It's going to bum me out for like an hour. And it was. I was a little bummed out for an hour. And then I was like, it's fine. Like, you know, and I moved on. And it was like, yeah, it it wasn't great. I was like, it made me really sad. But but then I was just like, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So if if you've never done a meditation practice, if you've never done anything, then the the place to start is get five minutes on your phone, put in airplane mode, set the set the the reminder to something gentle, and sit down, put your feet on the floor in a chair, sit, you know, on some pillows, get good posture, and just count your breaths. Count to ten, start over and just breathe. Just notice your breath for five minutes. And if five minutes seems like it's too long, do two minutes, do one minute, you know, and try to build up to doing five minutes and then maybe challenge yourself to do 10 minutes and then maybe start off your week with 15 minutes and just play around with these ideas because the more, the more time you spend in this practice, the, the better, like like all of the things that we've been talking about are going to be better. You're going to you're going to start to understand what what in your life is holding you back and you're going to learn mechanisms to overcome them. You're just going to understand who you are better and the more you know about yourself, the more you can help yourself or the more you can stop hurting yourself. And I think that's I think that's a really important really important point, you know, like stop hurting yourself, make yourself better or see opportunities, make yourself better and notice opportunities when they come up. You know, we didn't even we didn't even get into <laughs> how Katie became a CrossFit coach, but just, just becoming aware of opportunities. Like you, you may not see that opportunity. Basically what I'm trying to say is you may not see that opportunity. If you're, if you're closed off, if you're open, if you're, if you're noticing things, you're going to see more in the world and you're going to see more joy. You're going to see more happiness. You're going to notice when the flowers start to bloom and it's cliche, but you'll have more time to stop and smell the roses. (laughs) Any uh, any parting wisdom? Um, well, I use this a lot, but I love it. I think it was season two of BoJack Horseman, yes. which is a great <laughs> show. Um, but that um, and it's one of those like I think 
this happened in the at the end of the season and I was so mad. I was like, yeah, this show, it's like makes so much sense and it's a stupid cartoon, but it's so good. Um, and he's running, he's like trying to start jogging. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, This is so hard. Why would people do this? And uh, I think it's like a monkey comes up to him and he's like, It gets easier, but you have to do it every day. That's the hard part. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's so. Why does this wisdom have to come from this? Because now I want to use this line, and I do, and I right. say it's from Bojack Horseman, but I love it. Yeah, it's like that's. I mean, it goes back to that discipline thing. Yeah, just showing up, and uh, but that's the hard part. Yeah, I mean that's the hard part of anything. People who want to like get fit. The hard part is, it honestly like we're a CrossFit gym and, and CrossFit. My opinion is the best way to get into shape, but really the most important thing is compliance. Compliance to anything is going to get you better results than non-adherence to. I could write you the the best training plan in the world. Like doesn't doesn't even matter. All the scientists agree that if you do everything on this paper, you will get all of your results in the fastest time and blow your blow your expectations out of the water. But if it's, if it's something that's ridiculous that you can't fit into your life, that you can't do, that you can't comply with, that you loathe every day, that's that elliptical because you ate four Cheetos, you're never going to get results. So I can offer you a more inferior program that you're going to adhere to every single day and you're going you're gonna to get phenomenal results. So adherence is super, super important. And discipline's a way to get adherence and there's, all, I mean, there's a million different ways to, to cultivate that. I think discipline is probably just the most important. Tell someone you're going to do it and do it. Whether that someone is yourself, whether that someone is your spouse, whether that someone is a coach, just tell somebody you're going to do something and then and then follow through with it. And if you don't do it today, great. Tomorrow's an opportunity to do it. You know, and then repeat. but then do it today. But yeah, do it today. <laughs> yeah, if, you know, if if you were planning on going to the six a.m. and you were weak and you slept in, go to the six p.m. Go to the six thirty p.m. Go to the seven thirty. Do a hundred burpees at home, you know, do something today that you don't necessarily want to do. That's going to move you towards that, towards that goal. I love it. I think that's great. Awesome. Sweet. And meditate every day. Yeah. <laughs> or, or don't, whatever. <laughs> who, who are we to tell you what to do? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't that the point of this? <laughs> that's right. Do what we say. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for Katie for, for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks Peace. for having me. Thank <laughs> you.